<clears throat> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the AHA Experience Podcast. This is Tanisha, your host, and I have a special guest with us today. Uh, this is uh, Reese, um, and she is from LA. Uh, I will have her tell you uh, tell you guys a little bit about herself. So, Reese, tell us a little bit about you. Who are you? Where you're from? What you doing? <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. I, again, I am Reese, or also known as Charisse uh, Charleswell, um, based in LA. And it's so hard. I guess it's a thing for people who live in LA to say, what do you exactly do, right? So <laughs> um, I can say that um, I work in different spaces, but have a passion for our topic today, which is travel. I'm actually starting a kind of a line that caters to travelers, particularly those of us who are also often underrepresented when it comes to travel. Those are black and brown bodies and those of us who are from the global south, right? Um, a lot of times travel is seen as a Westerner thing. We're seen as immigrants and the rest of you guys are seen as expats when you come to the global south. So it's, you know, those ironies that I, I work in that space. And that company is called Pangea Chick. Um, and I can share a little bit more about that a little bit later as well. Yeah. But um, those are my passions and my background are from everything where you have seen me write, um, whether it's writing for blogs, websites, or academic journals. I'm currently writing a textbook <laughs> chapter. Wow. So I do a lot of um, different type of writing and work in the world of non-government um, NGOs and, and development and nonprofits. And really, I'm interested in just trying to make this world that I love a better place. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, thank you for joining us. You know, it's a pleasure to always talk to you. So like she said before, today's topic is about travel, but not just travel. Today's topic is about travel uh, as medicine, and we're going to just dive into some things. Sharice and I met through a, a, a travel group on Facebook uh, around 2012-ish called um, Nomadness Travel Tribe. And at that time, I think they had like 1,000, 2,000 members, and now it's like almost 30,000 or something like that. Something crazy, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really crazy. <laughs> And, uh, and Nomadness was like a, a, a group for black and brown people who traveled. And she and I just clicked and I had just moved to Northern Cal and she was living in Southern Cal and we had this huge get together in Northern Cal and the people from Southern Cal came up to Northern Cal and we got to meet in person about a year later and we've been bosom buddies ever since. And so I felt that she would be the perfect person to talk to uh, about this travel because she travels extensively. How many countries have you been to already? Oh my goodness! It may we be almost forty, but at least by the end of the year, because I just booked three trips for the end of the year, and I think that's <laughs> gonna round it out. <laughs> I, I'm bad like that, y'all, and and I really, really wanted to bring in the space of travel as medicine because it's not just a slogan for me; it's a reality. Mm-hmm. I didn't open up and mention that I do have a history of mental illness within my family, extended close family members, and my own. So it's for me again; it's really medicine when it comes to combating my own depression. Right. Right. Yeah. Because I I see. See, before, I, and I'm going to jump ahead in this because I'm going to, because this is something that I want to dive in later, but let's go ahead and go there since we already started. Um, mm-hmm. For me, travel used to be a bit of a, an escape for me. Like it was the way that I got to escape my reality or my life. Um, so for you, what is travel? Is it an escape or to explore experiences? Because as I begin to really deal with my trauma, it stopped being a, a thing for escaping and start being a thing that I got to experience and enjoy that enhanced my life. So with you, what do you, what, how does travel 
what does it do for you or what do you use it for? Sure. I was like you, and initially it was exactly that. It was an escape um, from the things I was dealing with in my life, whether it's a personal experience, whether it's even now, I have so much going on when it comes to work, business, and trying to manage and launch my own businesses. So it definitely started out an escape, but I realized that it became more than that. I look at it as actual self-care and self-care should be ongoing. So it's not just a one-time escape or you're living in this time in itself that, and I also realized the way that self-care has been sold to us is usually almost exclusively something that maybe like white women do. It's all about pampering themselves and luxury lifestyles and services. And we're priced out of that. Right. So Mm -hmm. I was like, how do I have this thing of self-care where it's not an indulgence. It's not a one time thing that is so, expensive and something I can't really incorporate into my life. So that's where travel became more of my medicine, where I realized that self-care means that we are supposed to escape things at times. We are supposed to leave blank spaces in our calendar for ourselves. So that's what travel has become to me. Booking in time, and I'm notorious for booking ahead, where I'm saying that part of my calendar, I'm going to be doing something with travel related, whether it's going abroad, whether it's traveling, what I call being a tourist in my own backyard. You can explore your own backyard, whether you get in a car or whether you get on a train, it's something still close. So that's what travel has really become for me. And it's, I say at the heart, when you use travel as medicine, you need to realize that you're removing yourself from your stressors. Mm -hmm. So I don't care if you're traveling to your backyard to go hiking up the the mountainside, Mm -hmm. you know, that all you're doing and you really should doing if you're using travel as medicine is saying my stressors are something in my environment. They may be work-related, they may be family-related, so that means you need to travel by yourself, because that's a stressor. So you, again, it's giving. Removing all these stressors is the most important thing is that it may be leaving your cell phone behind so people can't contact you. Maybe not bringing your laptop, because you know yourself, and you know you're going to work if you bring that laptop. And again, if your stressor is work-related, why would you bring that during your time of self-care? Why would you... So, you know, those are the things where it's no longer just an escape for me. It's it's my upkeep. It's my self-care. It's my way of saying, these are the moments for myself. Some people take their, you know, upkeep for their chronic illness. Some people are taking insulin. Someone are taking pressure pills. I utilize travel. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> for me, like uh, one thing that I noticed when I, um, when I was living in California and I was not making enough money to, tra- I was barely making enough money to like survive, right? And I couldn't travel for almost five years. I was literally stuck in the United States and in California, in my city in California, because I couldn't afford to go anywhere for five mm-hmm. years. I started dealing with massive depression because, for, like you said, travel for me is self-care. It is medicine for me. Like, um, for me, like travel also allows me to um, get outside of myself and focus on something else. It allows me to meet uh, people explore them, their culture, Absolutely. their food, you know, their environment. And I can start to look at my own personal environment and uh, love it for what it is and or accept it for what it is and then have these other beautiful experiences. So uh, what would you say, because you worked in NGOs and nonprofits and stuff, so you know what it's like for people, you probably deal with people who are low income or don't have money. What would you suggest that they do because that's the other thing. See, people feel like travel is a luxury, but what we know is there's a ways around it. Like I know I've booked a ticket to South Africa from Northern California for the price of two pairs of uh, Adidas one time on a website. So what would your suggestion be for people 
who may feel like they can't afford to travel, even if it's out, mm -hmm. even if it's, if it's within the country, what would you suggest they do? Oh my goodness, this is a major thing for me because that was me at first, right? I'm like, <laughs> I'm that getting abroad took some time to do, and you know it. It, it came with a cost and I can talk to you all about my little schemes and, and scams to actually afford to get abroad. But I always say, don't start with just going abroad. Start with going outside of your zip code. Let me share that before I even knew what a hop on hop off bus was, I had a mother who was an immigrant to the United States in a way. And I know what it was because of a practice that she did when, when she, when my father moved us out here to California, she really wanted to get uh, um, oriented to Southern California and Los Angeles. She used to get on the city bus with us as kids. And we would ride the bus from one start to the end of that, that city bus line and back. And as she got herself familiar with the landscape, then she would start getting on a connection and we'll transfer to learn another line. But could you imagine getting on the bus and you ain't going nowhere really because we're not really getting off. We're probably looking around and seeing who gets on and off. What are the different neighborhoods? Who are the different people who live in different neighborhoods? And that really starts us to meet. I'm very... I do a lot of people observing and a lot of people watching that comes from these random bus rides where we're not getting off. We're going to the end of the line and then we're transferring going to the end of another line. Then we turn around and go back home because again, we didn't have money to just be out there shopping or doing things. We're just exploring and trying to learn our neighborhood and what the city may look like or what happens when we leave our city line and go into another County on a bus. So that's, you know, everyone may not want to do that. It doesn't seem luxurious, but it started from there really for me, yeah, like just, the love of movement and seeing what other people are doing. And so I say that it, it doesn't always have to be about, do I have money to do things? My tours mm -hmm. in the backyard stuff, I do a lot of stuff looking where I'm looking for free things to do around town because the, the reality is that we live in these big urban centers like Los Angeles and New York and Atlanta. Other Uh-oh, you're breaking up. It's just what we're doing right now. All right, Sharif? I'm here, yes. Yay! Sorry, guys. <laughs> so we, we were in the middle of a conversation and then the, the recording dropped. So um, you, were, you were saying about uh, what you were talking about was traveling in your own uh, zip code or getting outside of your zip code, excuse me. Yes, correct. And I'm not sure where it dropped or left off or what you guys heard. But um, I was explaining that um, I learned about what a hop on a hop off bus was basically because I had a mother who moved to uh, the States in Southern California and took us out on the city bus lines. And we rode those bus lines from our um, stop to the end of the line and back. And yeah, we weren't hopping off till we got back home. We didn't initially have money or anything to actually go out and do. My mother made a lot of my clothes when I was a kid, but it was a way for us to, again, kind of explore the terrain around us. It was for us to familiarize, you know, familiarize ourselves and orient ourselves to the city uh, for my mom to learn neighborhoods. So we learned different neighborhoods who lived in what neighborhood types and, and what were available in different neighborhoods. So you start learning the routes to get to the museums and things like that. And things like museums and hiking trails and parks, all these things are free ways to travel. They're free ways to get out and learn your city. Um, whether you're taking a bus, whether you, you have enough money to pile some friends in a car and do a road trip, um, you can push past your zip code, go to another part of the city that you haven't been to. A lot of us get so caught up in our day-to-day -day work that we only drive the route from home to work. 
we don't know about neighboring cities. And it's like, ooh, on that side of the hill, I've never been over here. You're like, it's 25 minutes from your home. But you didn't take your time to go this direction because this is not the direction to work. So you can start. That's how I started out with traveling, really becoming an expert in the area that I currently live and what's going on in my backyard. And then branching out from there to probably adding another two hours to, to go to another city outside of my own or a county outside of my own and expanding. And that eventually took me to wanting to go abroad. But we start from what you can afford. And it's getting out of your own zip code and learning it and what's going on. There's so many great free events and low cost things to do and expanding from there. Again, it's removing yourself from an espresso and sinking like a, uh, like a tourist in your own backyard. So if you're gonna go and explore your backyard, Again, remove your stressors. You're only going out there with your eyes open to see what you can observe and do. Yeah, I, I, I find what you're saying um, very, um, like, I connect with it, I should say. Because I remember when I moved to New York City, and I had a car when I moved to New York City in, like, 2002, and I used to drive around, and I would take the trains and stuff, and I would be... I would be around people who say were from Brooklyn who had never been to Manhattan or the Bronx or Queens or vice versa. And I'm like, what do you, I'm like, you just take the train 30 minutes and you're yep. in the borough. What do you mean you've never been to Manhattan? Like I could never like that, like made no sense to me. Anytime I moved to a new city, I'm always taking the public transportation to kind of get to know the, the city itself. When I lived in Oakland, I knew people in Oakland who had never been to San Francisco and vice versa. Like, I just did not, at least- The hundred thousand, right? You're like, how? Yeah. Like, why? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, at least go to have the experience. And if you have an experience and you don't like it, then you don't have to go back. But at least, you know, you don't, you're not building your life around what other people say about something, especially when it's right there, you know? And so for me, it's like, you know get out of your city like I'm I'm back in Houston and Houston has changed so much like I need to explore it I just haven't had the opportunity to but that's something that I plan to do for the spring is every week I'm going to go to a new place just to see what it, not even a new place but an old place that's changed to see what it's like um we have free museum days on Thursdays here so I'm definitely going to take up take my take that up you know why not like take your kids to the museum if you're family or take yourself to the museum you know, and then kind of like branch out and get to know other things because that for me is very important when I'm in a city or if I'm feeling like I need to have some sort of infusion of, of something different in my life. Um, so that's you, that last statement is that's the key right there using travel as medicine, something different in your life. Yeah. You have to disrupt the mundane, you have to disrupt the stress, you have to disrupt all those things, and it's just some, bringing something different to your life. And even if it's doing it in your own backyard, as I call it, a lot of times when we go abroad and we spend money to go to places, what do we do when we go abroad? We're going to check out food, we're checking out the museums, we're tracking, checking out cultural events. Yeah. Apply that to where you live. <laughs> you know, so it's the same type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's so true. Oh my God. And that's just, yeah, for me, it's very important uh, because like, like, especially in Houston, Houston is so multicultural. Like, I could probably spend a year here. Like, I won't because I like to travel too much. But I could, <laughs> I could probably spend a year in Houston without traveling outside of the United States because we have so many cultures here. I can go to each side of town and I'm experiencing a different country. I can go eat food in a different place. The neighborhood my mom lives in, literally, 
I could drive up and down the street for about two miles. And I've been to China, Vietnam, India, Pakistan. <laughs> one trip because of how many different types of people, Mexico too, because what well, we have, let me rephrase, we do have a lot of people, uh, immigrants from Mexico here, but um, the food is different. So Tex-Mex food compared to like Mexican inspired food in California are like two different things, right? Night and day. Night and <laughs> yes. day. Night and day. And so even that is like a different experience, you know? And, and say you just want to explore the cultures within the United States. Uh, in, te- in Houston, we have Black people from New Orleans, Louisiana, North Carolina, Georgia, New York, California. The food is different. So I can even do that. I can go down the street and have some Cajun food or some Creole food or whatever. And I'm having a different experience because for me, I travel for food. See, that's that foodie. So you're bringing that foodie culture home. And that's, that's really what it is. (laughs) People are like, so why, why haven't you been to this country? Have you seen their food? Why don't I go there for a week? I ain't gonna eat. (laughs) 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 Like, no. (laughs) And, and food is a, a very important part of culture and learning about different people. So if you are traveling, you should be trying out the food, trying out one dish, trying out the, the drinks. I mean, I, I, I find when I go traveling that I always got to have a, a, a cocktail or a beer or something that is representative of that particular country. Yeah. Like I got to try, you, you know, your version of that drink or your version of this alcohol or rum. I mean, I come back and then, yeah, I'm checking bottles with me on my, you know, if I'm not doing team carry on that day, mm-hmm. I'm going to check a bottle back and bring it. Cause again, that's something that brings that culture home with me and, the flavors that I remember while I was dining and having that great meal with this bottle of, of, you know, beer or wine or whatever it is that I brought back with me. Exactly. Cause for me, I always tell people when they ask me about travel who haven't traveled, I always say the first two things, if you ever want to learn about a culture, the first two things that you learn or, or you experience, excuse me, you experience is their food and their language. Those two things mm-hmm. in and of themselves will tell you a crap load about a culture so like in India, in the South, the food is, is, is loud. You know, it's got spices <laughs> and herbs in it. Yeah. Guess Ugh. what? The people are loud. You know what I mean? Like it's just uh-huh. really, it's very, very uh, interesting when you travel and you start to really connect like the food and the, the language and the, uh, with the culture and the people themselves and how those things inform those people in particular. In my experience. So, okay. So I have two more. I have. I, I'm feeling here. I'm already like falling into, I'm, I don't know. Sometimes I go from being very visual for me. <laughs> so hearing about those flavors, I start smelling and tasting them myself, listening to it. I'm like, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'll be over here cooking for my mom. And she was like, girl, you just be cooking. She was like, what is this? What are you putting? I was like, yeah, I learned this when I was in such and such country. And it's not even that I learned it. I would eat oh, yeah. the food and I'd be like, oh, this is this, 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 and this. And then let's, and the only way I can't, you know, like if I'm eating something and I don't know the spices if I had never tried it before. But usually. Mm-hmm. But you, yeah, you try to take, take the flavor and figure out, oh, so you exactly. guys put this in there and yeah. you put that in there. That's how I can recreate <laughs> it. <laughs> I did that when I went to India for the first time. I was in Mumbai visiting a friend. And she took me, okay, so I don't really eat Chinese food because I've had some really, really terrible experiences while living in China and mm-hmm. eating Chinese food when I lived in New York. And it's just, it just for like a decade, you could not get me to eat Chinese food, right? 
And so I went to mm-hmm. India in 2012, 2013, and my a good friend of mine that I went to college with, she is from there, and she had moved back home, and she was like, you know, come visit, because I was leaving South Korea, where I was teaching, to go to Ireland to be with the guy that I was dating who was from there. And so I went to Mumbai for like 10 days. And so she was like, I want to take me and my husband want to take you to this restaurant. And I was like, oh, cool. What is it? You know, I'm all excited about eating Indian food because Houston is like a large <laughs> population of Indian and Pakistani people. Right. And she was like, oh, it's Chinese. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, 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 no. And she was, <laughs> I was like, I don't. Mm-mm. She was like, no, no, no. You got to trust me. You got to trust me. I was like, I was like, okay, all right. I'll, I'll take the chance with the Chinese food. I'm going to take my chance. So she took me to this place called Five Spice in Mumbai. And it was a Chinese Indian fusion. Let me tell you something. I love fusion food. I have never in my life had fusion food like that. That was the best to this day, almost 10 years later, the best fusion food I've ever had. So it's basically like the, the Chinese like noodles and rice and stuff like that with the Indian spices and flavors. And it was like the best food I've ever had. We went twice. I'm so tired. <laughs> Technology is sometimes the enemy, but you know, it is. Okay, we're going to get this out because I'm going to edit the hell out of this. I know, I understand, girl. I was like, we too far in now. <laughs> so anyway, what I was going to say was, I was going to ask you two questions. Sure. But I'm going to ask one first and out of order. Because you mentioned that your mom was an immigrant. So even, were you born in the States or were you born overseas and brought here with your mom? I was like, you call a little anchor baby. So she came here and had me. And then I quickly um, afterwards went back to the Caribbean. To the Caribbean. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you are traveling, so you're, you're technically, but not technically an immigrant. So you grew up in an immigrant family. So that has uh, a Yes, difference. I did. Because my father was from uh, a different Caribbean island. So my parents were not from the same island as well. And then um, shortly after my parents went their boat ways and my father returned home to the Caribbean, my mother stayed and remarried and married um, someone who was from Ghana. So that's also, I call myself tricultural. Um, I know the U.S. and the you know lifestyle here. Um, then I had that African upbringing from my step family and stepfather. And then I had the West Indian upbringing from my own family and my own background and time spent home. So yeah, tricultural. <laughs> okay, so when you travel, how does that sort of immigrant sort of fusion in your life growing up how does that inform your travel like how does it uh change the way your perception of the way you see things when you're traveling or how do you use it to inform your travel yeah um I think because I'm used to being the other in the U.S. when I travel I still have that mindset I don't feel like a westerner going to that country the global south is still very much part of my identity. I know what it was like to grow up on in the islands and having people step off of cruise ships with their own preconceived notions of who we are and what we were like. Um, coming back to the States and having your accent mocked in a way and everything was, hey, man, hey, man. So I was like, you know, I didn't want to go and be arrogant. When I ever enter another country, I, I go there from a state of cultural humility and humble myself to learn about people without assuming I knew about these people and, and that I'm going to talk to the natives as if they were some group other than a human like you. So I, I'm very much when I enter a space, it's not from a position of superiority or understanding that, oh, I'm sending, I'm spending my tax dollars. You guys should be grateful. No, I don't care if the, in, the economy is based on tourism. I grew up in a place where the economy was based on tourism. It doesn't give you the right to be an asshole when you step off a ship or a plane. 
So mm-hmm. it's, it's going there with a respectful manner of looking. And then again, having that mindset from being the global side is like, you know, why are we dependent on tourism? I, I, I take a lot of things where, if you know me, I can get very much political at times. I go with the eye of that. So when I engage people when I travel, a lot of times I bring up social, economic realities, politics, things like that. Yeah. I sometimes know so much about their history that they're shocked. I'm a history nerd. So mm-hmm. I, I, I always want to look at what I see modern, modern time and how we got here. So when I travel, I really do it for to get my eyes open to learn even more than I knew. But being humble enough to know that I'm not going to be the expert. The people I come across will be the expert and I'll let them know that. And it made for really great friendships that I've, I've had doing this because I'm not coming like, Oh, I'm coming just to turn up or I'm just coming to exploit or I'm just coming because I have dollars to spend and I'm tossing it up. No, I stayed in all type of accommodations and we can get into my little um, being cheap and travel tips because I, I do that I tell people you know sometimes when you, when you need your medicine you can't get the top shelf you're going to get that generic brand right I will get the generic brand if it gets me across the ocean Listen, so after that two month trip in Vietnam where I was living like we were tra- we had to me and my, my, my friend who were traveling together we were li- we had to stay in places where it was less than five dollars a day girl See? I would say this I will never travel like that again <laughs> yeah, there's some things that I have cut off. Like I can do a shared bath. I, I realize that. And my, I also have a degree in microbiology. So the germaphobe in me comes out when I was in a shared bath space. And I said, you know what? I got these flip flops all in the bathroom. I literally have gloves while I'm trying to shower. Uh huh. So you like if someone was to see me going in there, I have my hair like I had the uh, shower cap on, but a plastic bag over the shower cap. It was I was in there for having a. I was freaking out. I felt like I was going to have a breakdown oh, trying to shower at a hostel. So that's my thing. No shared bats. Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, we watched the hotel. The hotel was so filthy. I love, and my friend is German that was traveling. She goes, oh, it's not bad. And I'm like looking in the room and all I see is like dirt everywhere. We couldn't turn on the fan. It was hot too. Oh, see, yeah. Because there was like three inches of dirt and dust on the fan. I was like, listen, I can't, I can't, because I can't. Like this, I, this can't be my life. So I'm like, yeah, I am a budget traveler, but I'm also, the germaphobe in me means that it has to be hygienic. Or it has to be, and it also has to be safe because I'm a woman who always travels alone. So these are the things. <laughs> Girl, it was terrible. I was like, I need some wipes. <laughs> mm. I was sitting there wiping down the bed. Like at one place, it was so dusty. I literally, and they had cleaners. Like the women were coming in and clean. I was like, "What the hell are they cleaning? Why is all this dust here?" I literally, I, 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 because the I, women in there were running down the clock. They weren't cleaning. <laughs> they were running down the clock. <laughs> But then that brings me to a, a thing again. Remember when I said that you have to remove stressors and, and anxiety and all those things are happening to you. So that wasn't a healthy sp- travel experience that you shouldn't put yourself in that. Girl, That's a lesson of when you're, was, you're, when you're penny pinching. But if, if it's going to make you anxious, it, this is a, this is not a good experience. Yeah. So it was a limited budget. That's the only reason why. And, and I was like, when I, when I did that, I was like, from this point on, I will never do this again. I mean, I don't need to be in luxury either. You know what I mean? Because we stayed in this wonderful place in Hanoi. I mean, sorry, Hoi An. And it was called the Little uh, Library Villa. And it was like a homestay. And that place was, in, I mean, it was super clean. The showers were, I mean, they had like a rain shower in there. The bed was like, you could melt in the bed. We were only supposed to be in Hoi An for three days. We were there for 10. 
and it costs wow. seven bucks a night for two people. So three and a half dollars each for per night in this beautiful place that had a pool. And it was just fantastic, like wonderful. And then there were other places I was like, what is this nonsense, you know? But <clears throat> so like you were saying, like, <clears throat> you know what it's like to be othered. I know what it's like to be othered because of, of being a black woman in America, but I've also Hello. been othered in my own community, <laughs> which is really mm-hmm. interesting because of how I talk, the things that I'm interested in. I'm from the South. I'm also dark skinned. So that's another issue. Um, and, you know, and which is really interesting because I wasn't aware of being dark skinned like that because my family is like a, the rainbow coalition as far as blackness is concerned. My grandmother was was the same color of Meghan Markle. Like there there was like this hooray and we didn't do this colorism in our family, but I experienced it outside of the family. Um, so I understood what being like not really accepted in anything. I was also called an Oreo all the time because I sound like this, which to me is normal speech. Ridiculous, um, yeah. And so and aren't you happy that you travel and learn that black people speak with every accent you can imagine? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So for me traveling, I it was great because I never felt like an other when I traveled. No matter where I went, never. Never, mm-hmm. never ever experienced that. Because people would always, I would have a lot of Black people asking me, well, you've been here. What was that like? How do they treat Black people? I was like, they treated me fine. Because I went in, I, you know, having an understanding that I was outside of their culture, so I respected it. Um, but at the same time, I always felt, I felt more at home in other places than I did in my own country. And I, understand I, that. I also don't take with me because there's two type of travelers, right? That are from the, mm-hmm. they either go in, like you were saying, with the arrogance, I got money, I'm going to spend it. Or they go in, these poor people, I just need uh, all my money at them. Mm-mm. Yeah. Listen, I was in Vietnam and them, them people, because <laughs> it's, it's based on tourism, okay? And a lot of the thing, they see a Westerner. And they will, they will drag you. I mean, and it, it's funny. And so I sit back and watch it, you know, and I was just like, no. And then I had like these Europeans, but they're poor. I was like, do you see poorness here? I don't see poor people. Do you see poor people? You know, and it's like, you have to go into a place and see it for what it is versus going in there expecting something. And then that's what you see. You know what I mean? And so for me, traveling is fun. And even in Vietnam, I freaking, I cannot wait to go back to Vietnam because I just, the people there were just phenomenal. Like I had so much fun with them. I connected with them. Yes, I had the weird experience where people would laugh in my face because they were just not used to seeing someone that looked like me, but you can't take mm. that personally. I also think the reason why travel for me is more fun, I don't take my Americanness with me, if that makes any sense. Like, No, Absolutely. I was just going to point that out yeah, because I travel with that U.S. passport, right? But there's a blessing in being able to blend in. Yes. So as people who are traveling with a U.S. passport, who are Black, there's so many blessings in that. And to travel with this perspective that you've been pointing out, I love the fact that I can blend in. I, I don't think there's been any country in the world where people are playing a guest. And it could be my, my physical makeup or the things about me. But I've gone to countries where everyone assumed I was from that country. Yeah. Or if I did meet someone else from that country, they thought I was from other country. And I'm like, and I don't say anything. I just smile and nod. I'm like, I love the guessing game because they cannot figure out what the hell I am. Yeah. And I love that because that really shows a connectedness. And that really, you know, so if you can't figure out what I am and where you think, assuming, yeah. then I'm doing a good job of not bringing that Americanness with me. Yeah. If you didn't 
trying to make the assumption that I was an American, I'm doing a great job. I am blending in, right? Exactly. Despite what the passport is saying. So I love that. And it gives you a whole different outlook because people will be going in and telling you how they really feel. <laughs> and do. I'm like, I really, really, I really love that. So I leave that Americanness behind. And I'm one to talk about my griefs with America, you know, grievances with America anyway. So a lot of times conversations start with that. And I'm like, look, I don't know what these people are doing. They vote in for this um this dude, he ain't even literate. You know, I'm like, this is illiterate. Like I'm like, I'm right there with them when they're asking questions. I said, I want to know too why they're doing that. And you know, we both are confused. Right. But because I leave that behind, I feel more approachable because I'm not coming there with that American ag- arrogance again, especially. Um, and people find you to be a bit more approachable. I've telling some of my friends who are completely thinking American background, I said, like, just tell them you're Canadian. You know, just go in there and see how that works. Hide the passport, you know, blend in that way. <laughs> but even, not just American arrogance, because there is that, but the, I'm specifically talking about Black people in particular. We are we expect because of how we're treated in the United States on a whole, not we, because I don't have mm-hmm. experience, but a lot of Black people that I talk to about traveling, they expect um, the same sort of racism and uh, sex. Oh, yeah. The first question I get, no matter where I go, yeah. how do they treat you? How do they react to you? Exactly. I was like, what do you mean by that? I, I forced them to explore that with me a little bit more. I'm like, what do you mean by that question? Exactly. Oh. Exactly. So black people there, they're probably racist. No, <laughs> we're used to that in America because that's America and that's the legacy of segregation and racism in America. Exactly. Because we all know that if it's uh, a fluent or mostly white community, black people are scared to go there. I used to live in one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Torrance and my friends were like, oh, I can't come down there and visit you in Torrance, California. They don't, you know, they, they pull over black people when we drive in those streets, right? So I always tell people, having mostly white people is not automatically racist place. That's um, something that you experience in America because of that legacy of racism and, and segregation. But no, I can go to a country where it's mostly white people in that particular country as a tourist, and my race has nothing to do. I am blended in. I am treated like a human being first. Exactly. If men approach me, they're not approaching me like, hey, you date white guys, or they have these preconceived notions. They're approaching me because they see a, a woman they're attracted to. Exactly. That is it. So I'm not, I don't have to move into certain spaces worried about my race. Racism happens all around the world, but not to the degree that you experience it in the U.S. And I talk to people who leave the U.S. for the full time, the first time, and they talk about the weight off their shoulders. They're like, oh, my God, that people were just talking to me. Like, it wasn't like, you know, talking to me as a black woman or all the things that go behind that or dismissive of me and my concerns because, you know, you know how you people are. There's none of those phrases in the country where there's that many of you people to begin with, right? Right. So they don't have that legacy in history there. So you're just a human being. And, that, and, and for me, that's like European country that doesn't have a history of enslaving people, right? Because exactly, if you go, you, I mean, Eastern Europe is completely South different. and Eastern Europe. You go to Northern Europe, it's completely different. You go anywhere, France, England, forget about it. You might be experiencing the same things, right? That if you, you go in the US, probably slightly worse. That's like the US is probably slightly worse, but you're still gonna, you're gonna recognize it. You know, we're yeah. really good at recognizing microaggressions and all these things at this point, exactly. <laughs> and what I found in Europe, it took me a long time to realize this. Um, but what I found in Europe and Western Europe, particularly the countries that were involved in the slave trade um, or imperialism for that matter, is that they have fine-tuned it. 
because for a long time I was like, I don't want to be in the United States. I'm going to go to Europe, you know, over there at least. It's better. But then I started seeing how they treated their Black people in mm-hmm. their country. They treated me different because I was American and Black. But oh, their yeah. own Black people, country for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, treated, they treated their own Black people differently. And so it was very interesting, like this whole situation going on in Britain. Like, you know, I used to think Britain was Britain. And, mm. and I'm like, nope. <laughs> yep. And, so, and I kind of knew that uh, as well about that because I've had, you know, my a family, um, a large amount of family in England. So we would talk about, you know, it's it, one thing I said, well, they're not, they're not shooting you down in the streets like police brutality in the U.S., but there are some things there. And people will talk a lot about how come there's so many black actors from England in the U.S. I said that because there's not many black actors on television and media in England. They can't get jobs in England. Yeah, That's that undercover racism that you guys don't know about. Yep. They have to leave England, even if they're classically trained actors, to get jobs. Yeah. And that's the thing. And so for me, it's like, what I do love about travel is I get to let go of this idea of race and racism. That's the thing that I love about traveling because I don't want to be trapped in my body, so to speak. You get what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want the first thing that I have to constantly think about is what, you know, my skin and my gender. Because to be fair, I tell people most of the time that ask me that question, I'm a woman first, then I'm black. And people could never understand that. And I was like, Mm -hmm. that's because black being black is only bad here and in Western Europe, but being black in other places is not even, you know, there, it's not like, Oh my God, you're black. It's not that. Yeah. Although I would say being in Asia, we all can talk about, and like, if you bring your camera in my face one more time, I try to sneak another picture of me. I'm not sloppy today. You know, you, know you, you get those moments where you're just like, okay, you guys, I get it. You haven't seen any bodies that look like mine or right. features like mine, but sometimes it's a bit much. <laughs> yeah, it can be over the top. And because when I lived in China, I don't know how many babies I got stuck in my hands and pictures taken. So, you know. But yeah, I had the babies enhancing and I'm like, whose child? Because it came in my hands so quick and I had to catch it because I don't want it to fall. But whose baby is this? <laughs> and the thing, too, the other thing that we, I, I, because this is something that I learned when I was in California was about the Black Panther movement that I didn't know. I did not know that the Black Panther movement was international, you know, because I was living there during the 50-year anniversary of the Panther Party and how they were, like, working with the Vietnamese government and the Koreans and the Chinese. I mean, they they were everywhere. And so my Mm -hmm. experience is, like, oh, wow. Like, like for example, when I went to Thailand... I was in Thailand for a few months last year studying uh, Tantra and yoga, and I, I went to um, get a tattoo done at this tattoo place on Koh Phangan, and the guy who ran the place, who was hilarious, I swear, I always tell people too, and this is, a, this is why I find uh, these racial things an issue for me, because when you really start to go outside of of the Western sort of concept of race, you realize everybody looks the same. And so- Oh, we're all some degree of brown. We're some yeah, shade of brown. Yeah. Some, whether it's a lighter tapioca brown down to the deepest, deepest, yeah. richest ebony brown. Outside yeah, yeah. of that, the majority falls into that. And they like to call us a color, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, no, 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 color. No. like of brown and beiges and, 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 you know, that's it. That's really what we are globally. Exactly. The majority of us. The majority of the world, because I was the, the guy who did my tattoo. Like, if he, if I would have ran into him in California or Texas, I would have thought he 
was Latino. Like, couldn't, mm-hmm. couldn't tell the difference. So anyway, he was hilarious because, um, you know, he didn't speak English at all, but I just showed him the picture. And, and so as I got ready to, to get my tattoo, he says to me, what do you want to listen to on the radio? And I just kind of looked at him and I was like, Tupac. And he, his whole face lit up. And he was like, yes! You know, it's like the only English he spoke, right? <clears throat> and he was just like, yes, Tupac! And he puts on Tupac. And then he comes back over before he starts, and he puts his hand to his mouth, like, to puff on, on a, like, a, like, a male joint. And he was like, afterwards, you know, like that. And I was like, man, listen, the entire time I was in Thailand, I don't know how many times I got offered a joint. <laughs> mm. I was like, see, I can come here anytime. Whenever y'all want me to, this is the greatest life ever, you know? And I just realized how people just, that's the, they embrace you. And I think when you let go of this mindset that everyone's against you because of your the color of your skin, you realize how people actually uh, accept and adore you. And so that has been my, even in Vietnam, like the first family we stayed it with in Vietnam and Ho Chi Minh, like everyone's like, oh, the Vietnamese are racist, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, whatever. I just don't take that with me. And the first family we stayed it with at a homestay, I'm still in contact with today. The mother fell in love with me. Um, the sisters were fantastic. The, the youngest sister loved watching Empire. And she was like, oh my God, I love Cookie. And she was like, I just love the magical black girl. She was trying to say black girl magic. And I died. Oh, how cute. (laughs) That is the cutest thing ever. She goes, black women are so strong and I really admire them. And and again, this is not being able to speak full on English. We were just, we were able to communicate. And I always feel that's the other thing people are afraid to travel because, oh, I don't speak the language. The one thing that I learned is the language of love and the heart always trumps verbal language. Like you understand each other. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Language has never really been a barrier for me. I've been in positions where I, people were probably looking at us like, and they're like, okay, we can see how we're related to other primates because I, we, it's like the other primates don't have the language that we have, the complexity, right? But I can use hand movements and I point to things and I show them pictures and we kind of laugh and shake our heads. I mean, I can think back where a friend of mine and I were in Tunisia last fall and we met men from Libya. They spoke no English. We spoke no Arabic. We looked out for each other. We communicated somehow. We were able to let each other know where our flight was extremely delayed. So we were communicating about the flights. And when it was time to board, they jumped up and noticed what's going on. And they waved to us and, and touched us like, we're going together as a group. And we walked back there. We communicated with the language barrier. There's ways to get around it. And I always you know, tell people, like, you know, I, I, I travel with other people. And they're like, oh, this language barrier is getting on my nerves. And I said, what barrier? The fact that you only speak one language and they speak multiple, it's a barrier to you. You know, so you never, again, that cultural humility needs to be there. Someone not speaking English doesn't mean somebody is stupid. It doesn't mean there's a barrier. It just means that you don't know how to speak another language that you can alternate from other than English. They probably got three more for you, but you don't speak any of those. So, you know, just realizing that just really changed your way. And then you really just learn how to communicate outside of that. I had a great heartfelt place um, with somebody in in Ecuador and he was speaking to me in Spanish. Some of it was English, some of it was Spanish. It was fine. You know, (laughs) we had a great time. It happens. And then he was really adamant about trying to speak English and Sometimes you just realize what they're trying to say anyway. Luckily, Spanish and English have so many words in common. So even though he was trying to say it in English, I was like, mm, I know what he means. You know, so. uh, and Google Translate app on your phone. 
Yeah. Listen, I was in Hungary and I met a man that told me he married a woman from South Africa who taught him English. He really wasn't speaking any fluent English when he met her and dated, but he was like, I will go home and learn things in a dictionary. I'll write it down and come back and tell her the phrase from the dictionary. I had to translate a dictionary. And she, he goes, after we married, she taught me how to speak exactly. English. So language is not even a barrier to marriage. Okay. <laughs> you know? Because if you commute, because we can speak the same language and be speaking this, and dif- we could be speaking the same language and still be misunderstanding. Saying yeah. something different. Or saying expressing our our, our needs exactly. differently and yeah so for me it's like you know even language is not like i learned italian i'm no longer fluent in it mm-hmm. i mean unless you drop me in the middle of italy in about two or three days i'm talking <laughs> you know but it's not really yeah. fluent that's it. the whole thing of, you know yeah that it, that learning you learn by immersion yeah, exactly. that's one of the best ways to hurry up and learn exactly <laughs> so, that, you know oh uh so let me let me finish this thought and then i'll ask you the next question so for me like for me, I don't really like doing short travel trip. Like my goal in life is to be able to go and be in a place for at least a month or two so I can completely be immersed. Immersed. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And that would be my goal too. But I, I'm very much of an advocate of going with what you have right now. I always tell people life is short. And if you're waiting until you have the funds to, to travel for a month or the time off for to travel for a month, you're not going to travel. You'll never do it. Yeah. So. You'll never do it. Like I said, start out where you're at and work your way up to that because that may be the ideal, but you might wait and turn around and you're 55 and now you say, well, I'll just wait till I retire to do that. You're missing out on a lot. I always tell people that you might not make it to retirement. Why put it off? Yeah. Who told you tomorrow is going to be there? I said a lot of people who were wanting to see today, they were looking forward to something today and they didn't wake up. And And they had plans, y'all. They had had something going on today, but they didn't make those plans. So for me, it's like, do it. And it's really a shame, too, um, that most people don't even leave their town. And I think there's a certain gene, I think they recognize, and people who like to explore. Those are the ones when we were all in Africa, and there was a group of them that was like, oh, let's go check this place out. And they started walking, and they ended up in the go up and see what was on the other side. I I have that explorer gene. I'm like, all of us over here, it's getting kind of crowded. What's on the other side of that hill? And I will walk down that hill and take that hike. Like, it must be something else over there. And I get there and I'm like, oh, I see the ocean. Let's see how far that goes. And you want to walk to the ocean and go a little further. That's me. I was cracking up because I was like, they started walking ended up in India. The next thing you know, they were in Malaysia. And then they ended up in Bali. And next thing you know, they were in Australia. And where the hell did they go? You know, and there's an actual gene. So not everybody has a desire because I know people like that, they like, oh, why would I? What? They have no desire whatsoever. But yes, uh, yes, I have a friend like that, and this person wants a wanted a relationship with me, but I was like, we wouldn't work yeah. because of it, that. It just wouldn't work. You are okay with spending your life in your home, and you don't even go out in your city. Why I'm like, that will be cabin fever <laughs> for me, and I need to go. My passport needs to get stamped. I can't do this with you. So. As much as he's a great guy, I'm like, I would grow to resent you if I was to date you because you would have me locked up. First of all, my depression would be horrible. You'd be like, who are you? Because I, it would be on overdrive. I'm like, being with you would cause me to be in a deep state of depression because you would not allow me to explore. And I have that deep need to explore and unplug from my realities. Yeah. So, no. <laughs> I actually dated a guy who didn't travel. And that didn't last very long because of it. I was like, yeah, I can't. 
I, I got. Oh, yeah, because they will resent you for going. Yeah, and then you're like, well, you didn't want to come with me. Yeah. And then if you stay with them, you're going to resent them because they got you staying with them. Exactly. And, and I have a, a, a friend. She, I call her my auntie because she dated my uncle for a very long time. And, and now she's married. And um, she <laughs> is married. All right. <laughs> Part four. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so what I told her is, so we're getting back to the topic of this friend of mine who married a guy who doesn't like to travel and she was finding herself resenting him and I was like well you knew he didn't like to travel when you married him I said so you can't you cannot try to make him something he's not and instead of traveling with him because that's something he doesn't want to do find yourself a group of girlfriends and travel with them that is actually the perfect solution yep you know or travel alone me personally I like traveling by myself I mean I am very lucky when I meet someone that I could travel with because we just we both are similar and like we like our alone time and we like to explore it and and we'll be in the same space with each other to save money but we don't necessarily be hanging out with each other the entire trip because that would drive me crazy um but you can always if you are someone who likes traveling you marry someone who doesn't you Find your set of friends who do and travel with them. And that's how you deal with that instead of trying to make someone into something they're not, you know? But my goal, I have to marry someone who likes to explore because I, I want to be the exploring power couple. Like, I. <laughs> oh my God, are you there, Sharif? Hello? I think her call keeps dropping too. Sharif. We're having some technical difficulties. Oh, there you go. Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? Sorry about that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, but I was listening and inputting. I was like, I don't think I'm being heard. But I, I did. <laughs> I love what you said about when it comes down to a relationship, having somebody have that mutual love for travel. Yeah. And why I think that's really important, again, is like, again, not having that resentment of having you you don't want to find yourself not traveling because you want to please them and resenting them or you going constantly without them and they're resenting that you're leaving without me, even though you know they didn't want to come anyway. Right. So it takes away that mutual resentment. And I think it's also very healthy for a relationship because a lot of the stresses in relationships are what financial, um, something, somebody's not cleaning the home, like the way the other person is doing it. Someone feels overtaxed when you remove yourselves from that space equally and do things together where you still have that bonding with each other, but you don't have the everyday stressors travel can offer that to you. Uh-oh. You dropped again. Hello? Uh, hello? Okay, there we go. All right. 
Okay. I, I'll go ahead and repeat that because I love when you pointed out um, finding somebody for a relationship that loves travel as much as you do. Yeah. Um, that removes the issue of resentment. Whether it's you're resenting that person because you're probably going to travel less and do things less because you want to, you know, appease them and not make them feel left out. Or if you decide to do the other thing that you were describing, traveling on your own, you don't want them to resent you because you're going constantly without them, even though they don't want to go, they still will feel that slight resentment. So again, if you travel as a relationship and you're doing it for self-care, it's relationship self-care as well. Because the the factors that really ruin a lot of relationships are the financial arguments. There's arguments about you not pulling your share of the housework. Um, You know, the stresses, the everyday things that happen in a household, whether it's the housework or someone's not contributing the food or someone's not contributing to child rearing. Having Girl, I don't know what's going on with your side of the coin, but you keep dropping, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Wait till you come back and finish that conversation because it's a great combo. Okay. I don't know what's going on in my end. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So I'll just wrap up that part by saying yes. Um, Self care, relationship care is traveling together and removing all the other factors that may have been contributing to you guys to really have strengthening your bond. Um, when you're in a leisurely position, which travel can give you, you can have more deeper conversations. You're not worried about, oh, did you, did you check the mail? Did you pay the bill? Did you? All that's not something you're going to focus on when you're traveling. It's really opening up to each other and opening up to new experiences. So it's relationship self-care as well. Yes. So uh, Sharice, uh, Sharice knows my one obsession right now. That's not her obsession. <laughs> which is (laughs) Harry and Meghan Markle. And I love how they talk about their second date. Their second date was five days in Botswana under the stars in a tent. And that's when they (laughs) fell in love, like with each other is because they had five days of just silence where they like bonded and really connected with one another's souls. And that has like, those five days has created what we, the last four years. And so I really believe that traveling with someone, because I think someone, there's a quote that says, if you want to know, if you, if you want to know if you should marry someone, take a trip with them. Absolutely. I agree. And it's, it's very true because then you'll learn everything about each other. Like, how do you adjust? To, how do you deal with stress? How do you, et cetera. And, and then how's your hygiene? How's your clinic? All these things come out when you're traveling because it happened with me and somebody. And I realized that, oh no. He, he was Mr. Early Riser, but he was slow moving. I'm like, how did you get up before me? We have this thing that we were going to do today, and I'm down in the lobby waiting for you, and you're still talking about you're just coming out the shower. Well, I was like, this ain't going to work. You know, so it's quickly. <laughs> no, it like, it really, because you're, you're stripping everybody away. You're only spending time to, with each other when you're traveling. It's like wherever you go, city to city, state, you know, country to country, you are close bonding with each other. So exactly. you start seeing some things. And you start realizing that, you know what, I don't like the way he breathes. I don't like the way he repeats that word. Like his, you know, all these things start coming out. <laughs> so done with the way he breathes. But it's true because the thing about intimacy, the purpose or the way you get to intimacy is stripping away everything. You got to strip it away so that you can get to the heart of each other. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I am. I am holding out for the guy who is going to like, hey, babe. 
I got us some tickets. You ready to go? Like, yeah. <laughs> Girl, yes. Like I tell people, travel together. I don't care if it's a week or two weeks before you move in together. Because then you can save yourself a lot of time and heartache. Because you can see you, if you, when you travel again, you're, 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 you're self-isolating yourself to be with that one person. Yes. Especially if you're in another country, you guys don't really know anybody else. So you're with each other 24 seven. And that's what being in a household together is going to be like. So that's your quick way to do a trial run. You see if this is going to work. Do I really want to be around you that much? Do yes. I like being around you that much? Do, I like being around do you, you have that things much? that bother me? <laughs> Travel together before you go ahead and move and, and get the, the moving truck and spend your money and, and break your lease. Don't do that first. Travel. Exactly. And the thing is, too, I think what it is for me, because I'm a very independent person, and I've dated the guy who is clingy, and I've dated the guy who's completely disconnected. And what I found is, you know, when I'm traveling with someone, I can learn if they're independent. Most of the time, most most travelers, not all, because there are those who still are clingy when they're traveling, and they be clinging mm-hmm. to you, and you be like, can you please go away? You get to figure <laughs> out if that person, <laughs> person is independent enough. Like, if I'm traveling with you for five days, there's going to be a day where I don't want to be around you, you know, and mm-hmm. how you deal with that. If you are able to, uh, to deal with that, you know? Um, so yeah, I think try again, try, as you guys see, we've gone through many topics when it comes to traveling and there's been a lot of things that travel in itself can open up for you, you know? And so I personally, I love travel. So I have a, I yeah. have some, some rapid fire questions for you. You ready? Yes. Okay. What was, uh, when was the first time you were on a plane and where did you go? And I don't know. Now you faded away. Your first time ever. When was the first time you were on a plane? Can you repeat that question? (laughs) I was a newborn heading back to the Caribbean. Yeah, I like. I mean it. I I don't remember, and that's why I think I have no fear of planes. I have no problem sleeping on planes. You know what? You just made me connect something here. I get on a plane and I fall asleep yeah. instantly. That may have been that newborn saying for me. Plane rides are like someone rocking oh, yeah. the what is that? The rocking chair for a, a baby in a bassinet. I go to sleep instantly. I sometimes have to tell people wake me up for them snacks and when the food comes around. Because I have no problem getting on, getting comfortable, and going to sleep. I put my blanket on, and I'm gone. I don't care. It, it could be a baby crying, and guess what? I'm going to sleep. And I don't have yeah. a, See, any memory of ever fearing flights or anything, because I was a newborn. And I'm the same person. Yeah. Yeah, that too, as well, for me. It's And it, and it wasn't like it was just one trip. Yeah. We traveled a lot when I was young. My parents were young themselves and trying to figure it out. At one point, what was yeah. that used to be called stewardess care? My brother and I were sent down in that. It's like whatever it would take. Um, at two years old, I was st- sent to go stay with my aunt and grandmother for even more extended time. So yeah. there was never, travel is all I knew. That's that's like, the reality of it for me. It's just, yeah, I'm at yeah, this point. exactly. <laughs> like for me, like one of my, I have two really, or three real big travel experiences. Because I actually didn't get on a plane like, like a recollection of actually been on a plane until I was 18 and that's when I was flying to Orlando, Florida to do boot camp for the Navy first time I I was on a plane Mm -hmm. but I have a memory of me and my mom being on the Greyhound bus and traveling to Tallulah, Louisiana Mm -hmm. for like seven months on the Mississippi River where I was throwing rocks 
at moccasins in the water. Like I have a real strong memory of that or going to Dallas uh, when I was in high school because I used to sing in choir. Um, and then my major one was the whole summer of when I was, how old was I? I was like eight, I think, or nine, maybe a little bit older than that. Nine, I want to say nine. And my mom was dating a man who drove 18 wheelers. And we spent three months of the summer, I was out of school, and we traveled from Texas to Maine, dropping off loads. And I wow. learned how to read a map at the age of nine because of that. And I just like, and I think, you know, I've always been someone, even at a young age, I will look at the sky and go, what else is out there? So I've always been curious. And I, when I had the opportunity to be stationed in Sicily versus being stationed in Virginia, I got stationed in Sicily. And that was the first time I left the country. I was in Sicily for two years. And so that was my experience of traveling. Mm. So let me rephrase that question. When was your first time on a plane that you can recall? And where did you go? This must seem strange. I can't, I don't know if it's something with my memory or memory blockage or I don't, I can't recall. I really wow. cannot remember. I think one of the trips that stood out to me because it was different from going back to the Caribbean, which is where most of my trips were, whether it's by, by plane or by, um, we took a lot of ferries to neighboring islands, like to my father's island or mm -hmm. where my great grandfather's island was from. But one of the biggest trips that I remember, because it's like, why are we going this direction? I'm not used to going wow. here. was New York. And I was going to New York to go visit my great aunt and my aunt okay. and my first cousins. And that stood out for me because I was like, okay, I'm, I know what LA is about and I know the Caribbean. New York was completely new to me. I didn't really travel throughout the US. So that was my first time going to another place in the United States and realizing that you know, it, New York is completely different from LA. So those, like, I remember arriving in Queens and going to the Bronx to see my cousins. And that was the thing that stood out. I was really young. And it was because we were traveling in a different direction that I was used to. <laughs> okay. All right. So then, then my second question is, um, when you became an adult, what was your first trip and why? Oh, man. A first trip. Um, so right out of college, I started working in, like, a farmer company. And a lot of my first trips were to different cities and states in the U.S., and that helped me to realize a lot more about the U.S. than I knew at the time. I started really learning about regional differences. So those very first trips that were great, that they were being paid for by the company, got me to know so much more about parts of the U.S. I went to little small towns that I was like, oh, you guys are so different. Because, again, being in L.A., it's very multicultural. It's very diverse. It's a majority-minority state, California is. And, again, I'm used to all my neighbors speaking different languages and my classmates our, our first immigration immigrants or immigrants themselves and then this job threw me in the middle of Indianapolis to take a flight and go to this little city called Bloomington <laughs> <laughs> and those were one of the trips like again fresh up out of college where again I went to a diverse college everybody was like me and was used to diversity and I went there and I was hearing things that were some of the most ignorant statements and then I was like having to tell myself well these people don't get out much Mind you, I flew into Indianapolis Airport. It was like at midnight, but Bloomington and Indianapolis, there was no freeway. So I had to take a cab ride for almost an hour and trying to stay away because in the middle of the night, and we're going through what looks like forest. So I got to stay alert because where are you taking me to this hotel that my company has paid for? So those were one of the things that stood out to me. And it wasn't a bra, but it was like, a, again, traveling in a place right. I was not used to. 
And I, it's strange how the U.S. felt more foreign to me. New York was foreign to me. Indianapolis yeah. was foreign to me. Well, <laughs> but I, I was like, where am I? It's fucking, okay, it's, so, it's crazy. It's a beautiful city. It's a little college town, but luckily they introduced me to this college row where they had like different uh, cuisines from around the world, and I felt comfortable again. I just kept going down that street. It's a pretty but because I'm from Houston, where it's flat. It is, but it was my first time being introduced to small town America, and it was a shocker for me. It (laughs) stood out to me to this day, and uh, again, fresh out of college. (laughs) No, because you know what? Because see, again, like you, you grew up in LA. I grew up in Houston. You know, because a lot of people have this attitude about the South, like, eh, the people that are not. That's not true. Listen, I grew up in a, a very multicultural, very <laughs> diverse city. And, from you know, I remember going to boot camp in Orlando, Florida, and there were girls in my, in my company that were white girls from, like, Michigan, from, like, a little town in Michigan. And they may have encountered one Black person in their entire life. And they were just so fascinated. They were like, oh, can I touch your hair, please? And I was like, sure. You know, because see me, I don't have this whole thing about my hair. You know, like, let, let me rephrase. I don't like people just randomly touching my hair. If I don't know you, no. But we're, we're bonding in this boot camp mm-hmm. situation. And I was like, sure. And they were just, they were just, you know, flabbergasted because they unfortunately wasn't exposed. Because I believe a lot of prejudice and ignorance is due to a lack of exposure anyway. You know what I mean? And so you believe what people tell you. Um, and so it's, it was very fascinating. Mm. I was just really shocked because I'm thinking, I mean, but America, I mean, there's so many different types of people. And then I started to realize, one, Black people only make up 13, 13% of the country. Latinos Absolutely. I think are now at 18%. Yep. Asians are at 13%. Yeah. Although that number, that number with Latino, I always point out my issues with that being someone who is, I have a Latino heritage myself, is that Afro-Latinos yes. are kind of erased yes. in that Latino number. They just call them Latino, yeah, but I'm like, but they're Black too. We're Black too. You know, so that's my problem with the way the census is done. My right. own personal grip, a gripe about how we are not accounted for well, correctly. Yeah, they, <laughs> I know in Texas they put uh, Hispanic, non-Hispanic, and then the next row is Black, Asian, White, or something else. So I don't know. Yeah, but a lot of the the counting I still see. Even I changed the forms in my current workplace. It was if you, the minute you put Hispanic, then that was supposed to be they say, oh, Hispanics are multicultural, or all these other things are multiracial, and that was it. So then we didn't count you as black or anything else. Once you hit uh, Hispanic, you're Hispanic. So that again, for the people who are Latino industry, for mine being Puerto Rican, it's just like so you're gonna count every Afro Puerto Rican as Hispanic and not black. Every Dominican, every um you know, Belizean, every Costa Rican, every Panamanian. So I'm like, there's a problem with that. Cubanos, everybody, like, you're seeing this number of Latinas are growing. I'm like, it's time to start breaking down that that category of Latina to what it really is. Oh, my God. Like, like, I'm starting to have all these beautiful memories talking to you about travelers medicine. I now understand. One of my (laughs) other earliest memories, I was five years old, and we went to an Indian reservation here in, in Texas. My element, I was a brownie. Not a Girl Scout. I was a brownie, and we. Yeah, you, a brownie, yeah. Girl well, Scout. I, I did that too. To be, it was funny. I was I was too young to be a Girl Scout, but too big in size because you know at that time I was tall, like you taller than me, but I'm a, a little bit above average in height. I'm at almost at five foot eight, and at that time, you know, I was pretty tall for a girl, and so they had a hard time. Wow, they they went by height. 
No, they yeah. only went by our so age classifications when I was in the girls. Go by the age, but I looked older and I was bigger than the girls my age. And so they were struggling, but I was a brownie. Oh. Was a brownie. We'll leave it at that. I was a brownie. And, uh, <laughs> and we went, I remember going to this Indian reservation and that was my like real, real first experience because at that time I was still in a predominantly black neighborhood. There was like one white person in that neighborhood and I knew her very well. Everyone knew her. Her name was Connie. She had a biracial son named Mickey, who was really cute. And, um, and so the only thing I knew really was Black people at that particular time. And so, uh, and I knew that we had some Native American heritage proven by DNA. Thank you. And I remember going to the Indian Reservation. Um, at that, at the one that we went to was kind of celebratory but since then I've gone to Oklahoma and I've seen the life that they live in it and really saddens me I didn't realize at the time when I was a kid it was very very different and got in the teepee I remember churning butter I remember you know like all these things like coming back to me and I think that was probably what opened me up to having these different experiences in life when it comes to meeting new people traveling asking questions when I travel getting to know people, being flabbergasted and astonished at how much in South Korea, those kids knew more about black history than most kids in America. Like I was shocked. Like, mm. you know, like it's very shocking. It's shocking. But then yeah. just to just, just point out what you described, you started doing that before you even left the United States, going to a indigenous reservation and you start learning these things. You didn't exactly. have to leave the country to learn these things. So that's why I said travel doesn't always have yep. to be get that passport stamp explore where you live explore your country as well it's a very good experience and it was funny too because i remember and again this is the other thing that i would like to say to people it is okay to be ignorant it is not okay to stay there Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what i mean like ignorance is a place that you visit and then you move Mm -hmm. on um because i remember going to oklahoma for the first time to visit a, a good friend of mine and i was about 24 25 at the time and I remember arriving in Norman, Nor, Nor, was it Norman, Oklahoma? Norma, Oklahoma? Norman, Oklahoma. And I was like, I saw all these people, and I was like, dude, I didn't know Oklahoma had so many Latinos, right? Because, again, mm-hmm. I've seen these people, and I'm thinking they're, like, of Mexican descent, right? Or whatever. She was like, Tanisha, those are Native Americans. I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but this is the thing and this and I actually asked my my Latina friends this my well specifically those of Mexican descent why do native Mexicans don't call themselves native Americans or indigenous people but everyone else do because they are indigenous people mm. so they look a lot well a lot of them are yeah it's yeah, definitely mixed population I mean, people. like the natives not the, the, the ones from Europe mm-hmm. that came through, you know what I mean or Africa or wherever and I always found that fascinating. No one has been able to answer that question for me, which is very fascinating. Well, I've been seeing a lot of more movement about that, where people are talking about borders mean nothing when it comes to indigenous people, because literally, if you're looking at from from Alaska all the way down to South America, these are the same indigenous peoples who continue to move. So yes. borders meant nothing. They were of you know the same origins. Yep. Yep. And that's and that's the thing that I girl I haven't been to South America yet. I I've only been to four continents. Yeah. I got three more. Oh, South America is lovely. And I, I've been called out and I posted something on recently on my social media and it was like a side profile or something. And someone just, who didn't know all my family history, they're like, Tanya Heritage. And I said, how'd you know? 
you know <laughs> so yeah and then again improve about indigenous blood but if you're if you're any heritage that includes Puerto Rican you're probably going to see that Daniel pop up in you and I get that a lot about my profile and cheekbones and all these things but she called me out and I was like girl I have to like I like get in my dms real quick how did you how'd you right how'd you know? figure this out you know no, so. no it's funny too because I remember when I lived in New York right and that was the first time I actually ever went natural and I was mm-hmm. there with the Bayesian people you know people from <laughs> they were walking up to me like good what Indian who where your Indian come from I was like what they were like what you mean mm-hmm. black and black yeah <laughs> right that's the easiest thing for me to say now I'm like I'm just like I'm just of African descent mostly I tell people that or I'm just I'm just a brown skin girl and brown skin girls can be a lot of different things genetically exactly I was just like <laughs> black and black I don't know you know and that was that was really true for me I and, and and speaking of also saying you know feeling like a foreigner in America it is very interesting no one thinks I'm American I've never have yet to figure that out the older I get the more it happens like people from Africa, they'd be like, "So what? What? What part of Africa are you from?" You know, or I would get. And that was what I saw when I initially was meeting you as well, and saw you. I was like, "No, she can't be a Yankee." Not to say mean like that, but she don't look Yankee. So yes. <laughs> they'd be like, what? I remember when I was a makeup artist, I had a black American girl from Houston, Texas, in my chair, and she was talking to me. She goes, "So she was like, um, so what part of Nigeria are you from, or what part of Africa are you from?" I was like, Texas. <laughs> I'm from Texas. She was like, "No, really, your your family are they are they Nigerians?" She goes, "Because I work with a lot of Nigerians," and I was like, "Girl, no, we we're from Houston, Texas." And that wasn't the first time that happened to me because when I was in New York, I would always get asked, "Gal, what island you're from?" That's what, they, <laughs> and I would be like, mm-hmm. "Uh, Galveston." <laughs> I told one guy, I was like, "Galveston," and he was like, "Where's that? I've never heard of that." And I was like, "Texas," and he was like. No, you're not from Texas. I was like, I'm from Texas. Where are your parents from? Texas. Your grandparents. Texas. Your great grandparents. Texas and Mississippi. <laughs> you know, like, like, mm-hmm. I, and I, at first, I didn't know how to, you know, at first, I used to get offended. And now I'm just kind of like, oh, okay, I get it. I'm universal. I'm universal. And people don't know. That's why I said the black, remember, I pointed out the blessings of blending in. And they are that's part of it and they're like are you east african or west african and i i look in the mirror and i think i'm west african mm-hmm. i've even been confused with my nose ring and a head wrap for it i was in malaysia in penang and someone walked into an ayurveda doctor's office that i was sitting in and started speaking to me in um oh god what's the name of the language why am i um tamil someone that some of you were malay no, they were speaking to me in tamil and i was like uh <laughs> he was like oh i thought you were the other <laughs> you, know, you know, so, I, but that's what made me realize. I think that, and the other other time that actually happened to me too was in Italy when I was living in Bologna, and I walked into a shop that was owned by a Pakistani guy. No, I'm like, I'm having a lot of memories of this. And again, I had my head wrapped and my nose ring, and the guy started speaking to me in Italian. Mm-hmm. He was like, "Indiana, Indiana, Italian, uh, Africana," and I was like, "What?" Like, it, it took me a minute. You know, and I was like India. I was like Africana. Like, what do you mean Indian? He was from Pakistan, so he knows what Indian people look like. He thought I was Tamil. And then when I went to yeah, what, uh, when I was living in Oakland, I walked into a shop that was owned from by a guy from Yemen. He's like, sis, where are you from? I was like, Texas. 
So he was like, nah, come on, really? I was like, yeah. I was like, where'd you think I was from? Again, had a head wrap on. I'm not like uh, religious or anything. I like to wear head wraps because I think they're pretty. And he said, I thought you were from my side of the world. Hey, I'm the same way. I'm, yeah. I, 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 I tell people that's my ancestral right to wrap up my crown. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. See, you know, and he thought I was from, he was like, I thought you were from my side of the world. I said, come on, bro. You from Yemen. I was like, do I? He's like, no, no, no. Like across the straits. I thought you were from Ethiopia. And I also had Ethiopian people think I was, the, I was like, now I know I look West African, but no. And so that's the beauty mm. of, I think for me, and this leads into the next question I have for you, the beauty of traveling for me or meeting other people is that you, that's when you start to understand. See, I, I'm working very hard, especially with this, this thing that I'm doing with the AHA experience, which is this podcast is breaking free of the, the constructs that have been created within our systems and society, whether it's race, ethnicity, social, financial, economics, whatever, completely breaking free of it and not be so heavily concerned about how others view me or what they project. Yes, my experience in this life is as a dark-skinned Black woman from Texas. However, that does not have to be my actual experience in life. You know, I don't have to take on what that experience is supposed to mean. And so for me, like having these experiences where people think I'm from every other place but from where I'm from, <laughs> says that I have been not knowing, letting go of the things that I'm told that I'm supposed to be because of where I'm from and who I am. So for you, when you travel, what opens up for you? Hopefully that got recorded. I can't hear you. Oh, there you That's go. A... Can you hear me? Did you say yeah, what opens up for me? Like, how do you find yourself shifting and changing? Oh my! Oh my goodness! Everything opens up for me. I um, I guess I'm like a newborn. You know, when they're saying that they're experiencing the world for the first time, so there's all these um stimulus that they take in. That's what travel is for me. I take in all the stimulus. Um, the nerd of me definitely comes out. I geography was geography and history are things that I did love. So uh, first of all, when I come across things that I've read about or studied or something in deep, and then I'm standing before it, then it it, ha- it takes a moment. It's like overwhelming. So just that, even natural yeah. landscapes, you know, going up to Machu Picchu, places like that, even just a natural landscape that's not even man-made, different structures, and just seeing the beauty of it all. Um, the Grand Canyon, just being within there. And, and then I was recently in Utah going to so many national parks. Again, I didn't have to leave the country I lived in currently to experience that. So it's it's a, 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 a series of stimuluses that are coming at me and it's, it's, it's invigorating, it's exciting. This is why it's my medicine. It, it, takes, it, it makes me leave there feeling euphoric. It's like a positive feeling without having to take a drug. Yeah. I don't have to swallow a pill to get this feeling. Um, and then it opens me up to, um, to community, um, building so many people from around the world that I can call upon as friends or learn things from, get a new perspective. I think it's so important to get mm-hmm. different perspectives on things. Um, so it, it opens like that up for me. Community. Yeah. It just, yeah. Uh, and it also, what else does it, it just gives me so much. It's like, where do I pick? Um, the, Again, it's that traveler gene within me. So it opens me up that I'm, I always want more. And maybe that's where my medicine is, my drug. 
I once I do one place, I want to go more. It's like, okay, I, I got to those countries or I haven't got to that continent yet. And that continent is Antarctica <laughs> one day, right? <laughs> I'm going to be with you, penguins. You know, like, I'm like, it, it, it inspires yeah. you to want more, to see more, and to learn more. And that's important to me. I think as human beings, Every day you wake up, you should be learning something yeah. new and experiencing something new. I don't like mundane yeah. day to day. That if it impacts me and triggers my depression in a certain way, when it's becoming too routine, when it's day to day, if it's the same stress or even at work, I realize even in my work life, I need to do different things. I can't work on the same thing every day. I tell people I need to hurry up and get that off my desk and they don't know what I mean. I said, I'm done with that. Like, seriously, I can't be doing the same task every day. I'm not going to train monkey. Like, I can't do that. So for me, traveling allows me to always experience mm-hmm. something different every time I change a new locale. And that, for me, helps me out with my own mental health and well-being because I know what my issues are. I know how to do all these other things for self-care that I do on a daily basis. And sometimes it could be weird things because I'm a nerd. It could be going to a VR. I'm going to virtual reality in two weeks. Again, I'm going to a different part of town to go do this because I want to check out yeah. another part of town. And they have virtual reality there. So I look for things like that. Because if I was in another country, I would be looking for activities to do while I hang out. So I'm, I'm, I begin applying what I do abroad to what I'm going to do locally. It's going to be an hour's drive, but I'm, I'm not going to be in the middle of my city where my job is 10 minutes from my house. Because staying around my house is staying around my job. Exactly. Why would I want to do yeah. that? Yeah, no, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I love when you say community too, because um, for someone... I think community is what you make it like you create your community because I don't believe that I have to be attached to the community that I was born in, so to speak, because I might not connect Mm. to that community um, at all. And I'll be honest, it's taken me many, many years to connect to the Houston community, you know what I mean? Or the black community in Houston. Like Mm -hmm. I I connect to black people in different other parts of the country, West Coast Black folks and East Coast Black folks, I tend to get along with. Southern Black folks is taking me into my 40s to understand them. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. So I think that's what I mean by getting free of just what your external experience or like your external packaging is, you know, because I can go to Italy and feel like I'm Italian all day long and they, and they treat me just like I am one of them. Or I can go to Thailand. I mean, the mm. love that I felt those months in Thailand from the Thai people, I hung out with them more than I hung out with the, the Westerners that were on that island. And I just felt so embraced. As you should. When I went to Vietnam, I think yeah. I had one bad experience, and it was just because that person didn't like Westerners. You know, and I and I just I just snapped mm. back at it. I was like, back it up, you know, you know. I get it, but you uh-huh. want a job, just do your job, you know, or whatever. <clears throat> but I felt embraced, and it feels like every time I travel to someplace new, one, I gain another side of me, and I leave a part of me behind, you know. And so I can always go back, and I know there's a community, that, like like I said, I go back to Vietnam. There's three places in Vietnam where I have people now. And I just, I love it. I love the, when I say it's like medicine like you said, it's like popping a pill or, you know, three or four years of therapy in a, in a week-long trip. <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially yeah. if you're traveling alone. 
and you're sitting yeah. there self-reflecting or you may be sitting in a town yeah. square having lunch somewhere and you may have a journal in front of you, it forces you to start writing down what exactly. you're feeling and thinking. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it, you don't have to book a retreat to, to ret- retreat. is taking yourself somewhere yeah. and sitting down with yourself. And now you're stuck in another country by yourself figuring out what am I going to do with myself? I am, I only have me right now. What, what am I thinking? How am I feeling? Am yeah. I doing the checking? Exactly. Like one of the things that I want to create um, over the next year I'm going to be working on is retreats. You know, uh, the, the Tantra mm-hmm. retreats with the yoga and the goddess stuff in different countries for like seven days and you travel. And, and one of the part of things we're going to do, at least one of those days is go out into the community and be a part of those communities that we're in and just have a different place for people to come and just turn off, turn off your phone, hand it to me. You can't have it for the whole week. (laughs) There's no internet. Mm -hmm. Turn that off too for a whole week. And you're just there (laughs) with yourself because I think too, and some people use travel this way too. We use it, our our lives, we stay busy so we don't have to uh, deal with ourselves or tap into ourselves or look and see what are things that we are doing that's out of conditioning or what we're told we're supposed to do versus what it is we really want to do. We don't explore. And this is, this is the big key for me with travel. Travel taught me how to explore myself. Mm. It taught me how to dive within and learn about me versus just accepting what I'm told I'm supposed to be. And so I just want to create that experience for other women specifically um, so I can create spaces for them that feel safe where they can open up and say the things that they want to say. Um, And, you know, because women in particular, we get caught up in our family lives. We are the wife, the mother, the whatever. And Mm -hmm. we don't know how to disconnect from those roles and just be us, you know. And so I want to create that sort of environment for them take them completely out of their environment and give them something new so that they can have that experience of themselves because that's the most beautiful thing. And that's the other thing I like to say, wherever you go, you take yourself, wherever you go. And that's why I had to learn not to try to escape what travel because if I'm miserable in Houston, guess what? I'll be miserable wherever I go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. true. That is true. I looked at escape differently. I was like, I'm escaping from, again, I looked, I, I looked at the key factors that I was taking my breaks from. So yeah. they didn't come with me. Yeah, see, and that's they don't come with me. Sometimes I start feeling like, oh, I feel like I'm like, I'm a little bit too irresponsible when I'm talking. Because most of my life is about responsibility. I, my calendar is crazy. There's always something I'm doing, mm-hmm. taking care of my deadlines. And when I'm traveling, I'd like, I tell my staff, don't even try to call me because I'm not picking up. And if something's going on, it's just going to have to wait. You know, because... You're, I, I'm so accessible all the time. So when I'm traveling, I'm like, I'm escaping those people reaching for me constantly, family, work, friend, you know, everybody's reaching for me and I'm usually responding quickly, quickly. But when I'm traveling, yeah. I was like, I don't have to. I, I act like a child. I don't have to do nothing but sit here and eat my little uh, salad and watch these, you know, birds <laughs> fly in the middle of this town square. That's all I have you to know, do. For me, I used to try <laughs> to get silence. Now I'm going to get silence wherever I am. Mm. Oh, yeah, you definitely have to do that. Like I said, apply the things that you're doing here to when you travel and the the skills that you learn while traveling, apply it to your life now, especially if you're in a relationship, because you're going to learn stuff about each other while you're bonding because you only got each other when you're traveling. 
But if you really you learn something about your partner, don't just leave it there and act like, oh, I can't recreate that unless we go back to Italy. No, no, you can recreate yeah. that wherever you're from, wherever you live. Whatever, apply what you what you discovered exactly. into your everyday life. And if you got to bring a memento for you to remember that, go ahead and buy you know that special bottle of wine and bring it back. Or go ahead and, and, and buy the, the glasses, you know, that you, you saw in the store that you saw her admiring. Bring those things back into your life. And then those could be the memories that you have of that time together. But you exactly. learn something about that person exactly. that you can continue to apply in I your life. That. So what other travel related things are you up to? You said you were creating a travel line called Pangea Chic. Yes, Pangea Chic, or however it is. And um, definitely doing that. I'm in a small small starting and rolling out because I do want to take my time with that and get it right. Um, so it's going to be product lines. It's really going to be for all who love to travel. It's going to talk about how um, you don't have to look a certain way to travel or experience travel in your own way. But I definitely want to make space for those of us who are usually marginalized from when people want to, to um, market travel. It's not always going to be a brown skin person, even though we're right. the majority of this world, right? So making sure that there's space for us there and everything from travel accessories that we're going to have. I'm going to also have um, some developing the journals, the stationery, the travel kits and other little momentous for you to have while traveling. And, you know, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a blog accompanying it to sharing my ideas about travel, sharing my tips about traveling, whether you're a woman traveling alone and sharing my way of how to travel on a budget. Because that's very important. Um, like I said, I've done high end to safe then because I like I said I'm not going to do no private bats no more shared bats no more but how people ask me all the time how do you score these deals um deals like I said out of the blue I saw stuff coming down the pike so I booked two trips back to back what I woke up one Friday morning booked one Saturday night the next 200 something dollars round trip to get me from Los Angeles into Europe so you know how do you find these things I'll be discussing how you do these things and how I navigate it and how I use hubs Sometimes you got to learn how to travel to a hub to get to the yeah. destination you really want. Um, so I do that often, um, which is why I'll be going to the Middle East this fall, but I'm traveling into Europe to do that. But again, a $200 ticket from the, the U.S., especially Los Angeles, <laughs> to Europe using a hub to get me into the Middle East. So, uh, you know, so Pangea Chick will, she will be teaching all of that while giving these other things. I really love care baskets because I realize when people are asking me, how do you travel? How do you fit all that stuff in your suitcase? Like, what type of magic tricks are you doing? You know, I'm like, it's not magic. It's the things I package and the way I package them. But I was like, maybe I could just create these packages for people and they can buy travel kits and everything's ready to go for them. You know, so, you know, because to me, safety is always there. Um, I always tell people, don't go anywhere if you don't have a first aid kit or travel something of your own, especially if you're staying at an Airbnb or something outside of a hotel. Do not assume that there's going to be those resources for you in your lodging, your accommodations. Because I've had it all. I had allergic reactions. I had food poisoning. I've had people who travel with me who got really cut, you know, severely injured on something that got cut them open. And I ran to my suitcase. I was like, that's why I keep this. So all these other things that no one should be in these type of kits and things like that are, are going to be all a Pangea check. It's going to be uh, a travel community with a side of being able to retail and buy things that you would enjoy um, to remind you of your travels or to take with you in your travels. Okay. And then the other thing, the other two things that I want to talk about um, before we end this is, because uh, this is a long podcast, it's longer than normal, but I don't care because this is what I like doing. <laughs> what do you believe? Um, so one of the initiatives um, that I just joined is called Travelist, and it talks about the future of travel being about building the communities and making travel sustainable. So what do you believe uh, the future of travel is? 
or how can we make it more? Um, I think the future of travel is going to become definitely, we're going to see a diverse face of travelers. I think at one point, and oh my gosh, especially when I look at the old posters and I have one of them, I, I hang up because it features a Caribbean woman in traditional uniform and clothing. But it used to be, if you look at all the old advertisements for travel, especially the cruise lines, you saw one type of person there and it's like luxury travel. So it's going to diversify where it's not going to just be people from extreme means. So it's going to diversify in terms of working class people saying, you know, I can afford to do this too. It's going to diversify where brown people like me are going to say that, hey, I can do that too. I can go to different places. I'm loving it that I find somewhere more people like me or like, I can't believe. And we have moments where like, I come from these people. I come from a, a family that we didn't extend the family, especially we're in a comfort extreme world, little island people. And we're here, we are in different parts of the world bumping into each other. I bumped into a woman from um, Antigua while I was in Thailand and, and her and I like held each other for a moment because we were like, and we yeah. understood the intensity of that. Right. So that's what travel for me is. It's going to be. And to sustain it is, I think it's happening. It already were, we're seeing costs of travel to go down and people are finding different ways to travel. I remember when couch surfing was a thing, it's still there. We're going to get more and more creative to make it more and more accessible. Um, and I think the travel industry is realizing that they're going to have to have t- different tiers of travel to make things more accessible. Um, there's so many ways to, again, experience these um, things where whether you, you go by retreat, whether you learn um, something like Pengia Chick, the platform I'll be offering, tips on how you can do it on your own and and, you know, if you want a CD tour, there's even free CD tours. If you have a a, 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 a long layover, an airline might even give you a free tour. So talking about all these things to make it accessible and sustainable where you don't have to budget extra yeah, to experience Yeah, and so like, to me, too, one of the big things for me with sustainability with travel is making sure that the communities that I travel to ends up with the bulk of the dollars that I spend, you know, um, Oh, for me, that's even a, a yeah. different conversation <laughs> altogether. Um, because if we're talking about travel sustainability, is one thing, but I say I call that to, to be yeah, an ethical traveler. I, I love to. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I and 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 even before I leave the country, look, I'm an Etsy person. I'm a I'm a I'm a festival person. I get excited. I don't like shopping in big balls. I like the beauty of inboxing somebody can you design this for me can you put this together and knowing that my money is going directly to that small business and i take that same thing when i go abroad i need to go directly to the market i'm like don't show me the mall where's the market where are the vendors where are the street vendors let me hit them up and that's where i go i I met somebody in the beach who was carving cooking a shell i said what you over there doing and i had to buy one from him and he carved me a really beautiful bowl and i said make sure your initials are there i need to remember you I met a woman in Peru where she was making, she used um, the, the skins of the orange and she created fragrant necklaces. I still have that. When I put that on, everyone's like, what is that? And it, it, it gives me a story, but it gives me back the conversation I had with her. Yeah. It's my memory to people. So again, it's, it's ethical travel, but it means so much more because it's community. You remember all the great people you came across when you can bring those things back. I know some people are like, I don't go for material things. I'm like, it's not just a material thing. It's the thing and the person that I remember and is connected to yeah. that moment with that person. Um, knowing that that money went back to that person's home, their children, their families. Um, ethical travel for me is when I was recently in Fiji for my birthday two weeks ago and speaking to my driver because I get into a child. I, I, get, I chop it up with people. That's how you build community, right? I have, I now have his PO box information and phone number, put it that way. We chopped it up. So <laughs> um, in chopping it up, he told me that in one week, his pay is the equivalent of one meal at, a, at the resort hotel. 
not the resort I was staying in because I, you know, I stayed at a boutique hotel. I don't do big resorts yeah, yeah. unless I really have to. So I stopped and thought about that. When people think that their money when is going back into ecotourism, it yeah. is not. We live in a capitalistic society. The money is going back to Sheraton, Hilton, somebody. They don't trickle it down yeah. to the people there. They don't pay the people there yeah. a living wage. So when you stay in those places and you're willing to spend how much a night to stay there, but when you go on the street and you won't spend five dollars us to buy merch merchandise for people, street vendors mm-hmm. think about that for a moment you're spending two four hundred dollars a night for the room these people are being paid the equivalent of what your one night stay is more than they make all month but you're but you're going to go and skimp and, and won't buy materials yeah. for them on the street I, I i don't understand that so i bought a lot of things from local fijian um crafters while i was there and i loved it i, I put it on my coconut shell necklace my gemstone necklaces Mind you, I paid 20 US for a necklace, a bracelet, and an earring set. 20 US, not even 20 US, 20 Fijian, which is probably more like $6 US, 15, you know, something. So always, always try to ethically travel if you do and realize the impact that you can make. You can help raise up someone else's standard of living so they can also have the experience of travel. It shouldn't just be to those of us who have the means. It should be open to all because we yeah. know the blessings of travel. We know. Um, what it does for us mentally, physically, and spiritually. So I want as many people to have that experience yeah, as well. Yeah, you and I plan on coming together on getting uh, uh, getting uh, products from overseas that we're going to be selling online that is like, because that's one thing you and I have in to a home decor store. Yeah, ethical manner. I'm so serious about that. I, it's important to me. <laughs> it, it is there. And that's, and you know, that's, a lot of the things I'm going to be discussing in Pangea Chick, it's going to be teaching people how do you do this ethically? How do you, you know, um, and to really consider that. If you're willing to spend all this money on that little hotel room that costs more than someone makes for a month, go ahead. And let me tell you, here's something you need to know. The higher the star on that hotel room goes, the worse the food is. You need to go to the little shacks. You need to go to the mom and pop spots. If you want to get some real food with flavor, and I'm talking with seasoning, those hotel rooms, those hotels, five-star hotels, they're going to serve you this little thing that's bland and don't taste good. It's true. <laughs> I, without that with Fiji, the people that I went on one tour with, they were staying in a five-star hotel. And the way they attacked the food <laughs> at the buffet when we went to the village in Fiji, they were so hungry and they were licking their fingers and talking about how food the food was good. I said, yeah, the higher the rating of your hotel, the less, less the, the quality of the food. It's not going to taste as good as it is. Then I, where I'm staying, where I'm exactly. eating with locals, we eating good over here. You can smell our food before you I walked in. It's good. So why, you know, you in a five star hotel, they're bringing you this little lasagna, and it's like something, something. The chef designed this, and it's a little small square in the middle of your plate. Don't even got sauce or seasoning. You're like, what is this? It's true. I'm not a luxury travel person, so and like, but then you can go down the road. You know, you were just in Vietnam. You know what the street vendors were like. I mean, go to Singapore. Some of the best eating I did in Singapore yeah, with the street vendors did not have to enter anybody's Malaysia restaurant. To, you didn't have to. Yeah, Mal- oh my gosh, yes. Street, uh, street food in um, Asian countries, uh, like East Asian countries specifically. Um, I'm working on getting back to that because every time I've done it, I've always gotten super sick. Like I end up having a bacterial infection in my mm. intestines. Living in China. Wow. Yep. Well, then you're going to have to have one of my kits that I'm going to be putting together for Pangea Chic. <laughs> it, it gets you all ready for that. And it will also include the certain things that you should probably avoid. Everybody gets sick in India. I didn't get sick in India. Not once. Not once. Wow. Not once. And I'm yeah. with the water. <laughs> I did not get sick. See? And I always tell people, I'm like, you know, 
when you're in certain places, if you don't have a life straw, I would say always buy, buy um, sparkling water because why? If it's flat, then you know that someone had already opened this water. Yeah. It's not, you know, so it's no, you know, there's no, right. no worries there because you know it's supposed right. to be sparkling when you open it. And I had someone tell me, well, I don't like sparkling water. I said, look here, honey. It's not for you to actually drink it at that very moment. You can you can leave it in your hotel room or your where you're staying and let it go flat. But at least you know it's that right. water was sealed because when you opened it, you well, heard the gases. So let it go flat and then you drink well, it after it goes flat. Like, That's all you need to do. My German friend is he had this thing. It was like a it was a it was a water filter like a like a traveling water filter and it was a bag and it was created mm-hmm. I think in Switzerland or Sweden one of them places and you put water in it. And that, and you push it through, and there's a, a cap on it. And what it does is it filters all of the crap that would make you sick as a foreigner out of the water, so you can drink the tap water where. Oh yeah, I've seen those bags as well. And if you're sometimes like me, and you're like, I need to pack as much as I can fit in my suitcase, my life straws, they have those built-in filters right on them as okay. well. Okay. Oh, I gotta find out about those. Yeah. That's- yeah, it's called a life straw, and I think you need one, especially when you travel to certain places, because it sounds like you have a very sensitive gut, so that's what you definitely need. It has a filter for everything from microbes to sediment or anything like that. Your life straw can do that. So there's different things, you, yeah, you definitely. You also travel as a vegetarian. You know, I'm, what I'm yes. working on this year, by the end of this year, I'm going to be a full-on pescatarian is my, is my, is my goal, and mm. I, and I Careful with fish because of the, the changes that if unfortunately with climate and yeah. our degradation, um, mercury and other things and, and fish not being grazed in certain right environments, polluted waters. Um, and there's a lot of um, parasites, worms and things that do exist in seafood. So I would say definitely nothing wrong. I don't. Um, when you become a pescatarian and things that are well cooked and really, really ask them if this fresh fish of the day. Because I know people have gone the pescatarian route and they end up being the most, they get the most sicknesses because seafood can carry a lot yeah, of parasites. And people don't realize that. What I'm eating. Because yeah. that was the one thing that I was learning about. And that will only be like 20% of the time. I want to be 80% vegetarian. It's my goal. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people think it's like a problem to travel. But there's apps right now where you can download it. So no matter where you're in the world, it can tell you the closest mm-hmm. vegetarian restaurant. Or if you're like me, I've been a vegetarian for most of my life now. I um, grew up with a father who was vegetarian and ate only mostly Ital food. Um, so I never have a problem. I'm like, I eat good. I, I tell people, I don't even look anorexic, honey. Okay. I got curves. <laughs> I, was, I was called a stallion before you even heard the word Megan tied to it. Okay, I've been a stallion. 5'11", and I'm not bony. So I eat well, and um, I eat a lot of high protein and high complex foods. And I can find out by traveling easily. So it's never really been a problem for me believe it or not most cultures have some kind of yeah. cuisine that doesn't have meat in it all the time Asia, there's something there india is probably the easiest place to live and be look i oh my goodness india for me even now just yeah. indian food i don't know if i go to a certain country i was in thailand and i was like oh indian oh, no. restaurant i just walk right in you know and and when malaysia indian restaurant walking i know i was gonna eat we, <laughs> you just gotta know and we were always trying to find vegetarian. Vietnam was the most difficult place to find vegetarian food, hands down, the most difficult. It, mm. You know, Thailand, you could find it. Um, but Malaysia yeah. was the best because you got, uh, especially in Penang, you got a high concentration of people who immigrated from India several generations ago. Oh, yeah, I think they're now about 40% exactly. of the population in Malaysia. And that yeah. food was so mm-hmm. good. Like, I didn't even miss meat, you know? And to be honest, 
Um, I've, I've been struggling with trying to become a vegetarian for many years because I have, um, I, I get really fatigued. And so I was talking to a guy, and this is how the universe works. I love this. Uh, I went to get uh, a stress test done at the VA, and the guy who was doing my stress test was a black man who's like raw vegan. And I was like, I ain't gonna try to do that. That's just too much. But <laughs> I like, <laughs> yeah. And, and they, we were talking about it, and, and he's been a raw vegan for 20 years. Very lean guy, very good looking, very young looking. Something about being vegetarian that keeps you young looking. And and so I was telling him about my experience trying to become a vegetarian. And he goes, oh, I know about that. He goes, you got real tired, didn't you? I was like, man, I couldn't get out of the bed, you know? And he was like, yeah. He said, your stump, there's, you have some sort of parasite in your stomach. And so he told me about a product mm. that I plan on getting next week so that I can kickstart this thing. Because my, my goal, and I have a hard time, I don't have the enzyme necessary to break down raw vegetables, which is what I what, oh. have a hard time. I eat raw oh. vegetables, girl, it's a, it's a mess. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the, the, the bulk of my, my day. It's a lot of raw vegetables. I'm like throwing legumes and, and other and things, but yeah. But my stomach be like, what the hell did you just do? So he was telling me about this kit. It's, it's a 30-day mm. kit, and it, what it does is it helps recreate what you need in your stomach so you can do that stuff because I am so serious because I came back to the United States and I started eating meat again because when I was in Thailand and Vietnam I was eating meat. Oh and you God, noticed the difference I was, so sick. <laughs> I was so sick and I was just like okay this is not going I gained 10 pounds in one month I was like this is not going to work hmm. I am determined to literally I just want a better life also I just don't like I don't feel like being a meat eater is sustainable anymore in this in the world. I can understand eating maybe once a week, yeah. twice a week, maybe. You know, that's what I did in Thailand. I ate meat twice a week and I was fine. Um, and maybe that's what I'll do. Maybe I'll be a flexitarian where, like I said, 80% of my diet is uh, non-meat. Um, um, yeah. I really want, like, I really want to be someone who contributes in some way to the sustainability of our planet. I agree. Uh, I, like I said to me in the beginning, I'm like, I guess I'm the typical Aquarian because they said that we're the revolutionaries and the humanitarians of the um, right. astrology, you know, of the, um, yeah. And I, I, I felt that way very young. And part of me being a vegetarian was that too, recognizing that, you know, it's not going to work for too yep. much longer. Um, the diet, if we were all to remain carnivores and consume so much meat, if they do in the U.S. or Brazil, it's it's not really sustainable. Where are we going to get all this meat from? You know, it's, you know, we, Especially when we're growing and taking on more size and taking, and then you know, there's not enough land for all this livestock. So what are we doing? We're trying to clean our clear our rainforest. Well, if we do that, we only get oxygen from two places: our forests and our oceans. The plant, the phytoplankton in our oceans. So if we're cutting down forests to plant more, to to have more grazing land for animals, so that we can slaughter and eat the animals, we're going to end up without oxygen. It's going to yeah. be a wrap for us all. We can't keep exactly. doing this to the planet. To 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 um. To have our cravings for meat. Plus, it's breaking down your bodies as well. Humans didn't evolve eating all this meat, especially meat exactly. with, with steroids. Yes, we, we were, we were yeah. omnivores. A lot of it was hunter and gathering and nuts and berries and fruits and vegetables yeah. and lean meat. But they weren't hunting exactly. every day. They weren't eating large amounts of meat every day. We have people who have sausages for breakfast. By lunch, it's a hamburger. By night, it's a steak. Repeat the next day. Your body can't even get this stuff out, and you're wondering why we got yeah, so much colon what, cancer. That's what the you know, said so to my mom when we went, the 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 guy he was um, Indian descent. He was cool as hell. He was like, 
colon cancer is the highest in the United States. He said they eat too much red meat. That's those were his exact words. It, it is again when you travel, you realize these things. You, you know, I, I speak to people all the time. My graduate degree in public health, so we talk about you know what are the, these diseases that we're seeing in different populations, and it's tied to these high rates of meat, and then also the standards of the way the, the food is is. You talk to anyone from another country, they'll tell you that the, the meat in the good. U.S. is different. They're like something about it. I hear people say it's fatty. It's something. They always say there's something yeah. different about it. I say, well, those are those steroids that they're talking in it because again, we're running, you know. To, to the consumer base eats a lot of meat, right? So we, it's supply and demand. So in order to produce this much greater amount of meat, we got to bulk this meat up. We have to put steroids and people then are going to ingest this meat that is ingested with steroids. I'm wondering what's going on with yeah, their bodies. Doctor, he basically said, he actually said, oh, I hope, you know, I need to meet. I want to know if I can get him on this podcast. But he said, he said you should. that yeah. the American government is all about capitalism and money making. He was like, so they will kill you <laughs> to make money. And he was like, because the FDA, it doesn't really, it's not, it's not functioning as it should. And putting all those steroids and those hormones and all that crap into the meat, we're ingesting it. I remember coming to that conclusion almost 20 years ago in the doctor's lab. I was working as a surgical tech. They're like, no, by the time you cook it, Tanisha, all of the hormones and everything be out. I'm like, oh no, because oh. I remember mm. the meat I ate as a kid, and I didn't have weight issues. <laughs> I tell people a lot has changed, and I would definitely agree with that, doctor. A lot of times, I tell people that you can probably look at the European standards over the FDA standards Very at this different. point because I've lost a lot of, um, unfortunately, trust in the FDA standards, especially now that we have so much money in politics in the U.S., the money in politics is going to change yeah. regulations to things that we know are wrong, but we're going to allow to happen because it can yeah. happen at a profit. So it makes me really not trust a lot of our mm -hmm. foreign institutions. Um, when I worked in pharma, we did so much to get things from phase one to phase three, and then phase four was commercial market. There was a lot of things that have yeah. changed since then. Um, when I watched commercials, and there's so many drugs talking about fatality and side effect. I said, wait, back this up. Fatality better not be no side effect. That's not a side effect. If there's fatalities happening, it shouldn't be on the market. So again, the fact that the FDA allows that out there and for you to throw that in there and you say it really fast in the commercial hoping someone will miss it, that has, to me, again, I've lost a lot of trust in that because I'm like, I knew when I was in that industry, we did a lot of work before we got it to market when I was working in pharma. Now I'm like, they just come up with something and throwing it out there and they wait for the lawsuits. They wait for people to get sick and then exactly. it's, they take the gamble. If they get sick, we'll pay, we'll pay, we'll pay, you know, the families, but by then we've already made yeah. our profits. And, and like I said, I got sick. When I got home, my first month home, like I said, I put on 10 pounds. And then when I would have my uh, menstruation, my first menstruation, when I got home, my cramps were so bad. I was on the floor. My breasts, well up so much with knots um I had to go get a mammogram done I was in so much pain I remember saying to my mom they are killing you guys I those were my exact words to her because when I was in Vietnam I ate mm -hmm. almost every damn day in Vietnam and I was never sick I lost seven pounds in two months in Vietnam eating meat every mm -hmm. single day and I think one day a week me and my friend was straight up vegetarian, but she was a vegetarian anyway. And I get home. Yeah. But let's talk about when you ate the meat in Vietnam. Not 
the different quality meat and a lot of that stuff is raised yeah. more organically too. But let's talk about the type of dishes you had and compare that to That's Americans true. way of eating meat. The big pieces of steak, the big pieces yeah. of hamburger and the double decker hamburger. It wasn't the same amount yeah. of quantity of meat no, 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 in your no, dishes, like, correct? They only exactly. in Asia, and this is something that I learned from the guy too, because I noticed it, but I didn't make the connections. Um, and again, again, traveling, the other beautiful thing about traveling as medicine as we speak is you learn different ways of being like and about food and about the concepts of food that are healthier. And he said, you're not supposed to have more than three things on your plate. Like you're not supposed to have more than three different food groups on your plate. And if you notice, he was mm -hmm. like, and this is the first, I learned about this first in Italy because the Italians uh, used to be called the greens by the French, the theirs, because mm -hmm. Italians, what they would do is they would eat their leafy greens first, and the last thing they ate at the end of the night was a meat dish. And mm -hmm. I was like, that's very interesting. So I started doing that, not understanding why I was doing it, but I know I felt better. And that's because it takes a lot more work for meat to break down your body. It literally has to putrefy, so it has to die you know, putrefy uh -huh. and then break down. And so if you eat that first and then put your leafy greens on it, guess what? Your leafy greens and all that stuff has to also putrefy with the meat to be ingested. So then you're not ingesting any of the nutrients anyway. Mm -hmm. That's what causes the bloating, et cetera, et cetera. This is what I learned. And I was like, oh, in India with Ayurveda, the one thing they tell you not in America or in the West, they say you can't eat your sweets till after your meal. Well, in Ayurveda, mm -hmm. you eat your sweets first. And I was like, mm. oh, you know, and I, that was something that I learned. You eat your sweets first because the sugar that the, the kind of increase that happens in your intestines when you put sugar in it, it helps break down the rest of the food that you're going to eat afterwards. And then the other so that makes me not feel bad about sneaking dessert sometimes. I'm like, I just take yeah, this first because I just, you know. And then again, it's a Western state of being. You're absolutely right when it comes to culture, right? Who told exactly. us dessert had to be the last course? And, and it's very interesting. So. And the other thing that he was talking about too, he was like, have you noticed in Asia, they pass around a bowl. Like you, everyone, you have a group of people and then you just order a big old thing of food and you guys just kind of share. And they'll take like, the, yeah, yeah communal take eating. Like the greens mm -hmm. or the onions or whatever. And, and one person would take it with their chopsticks and they would uh, eat their seal and then they would pass it or whatever. It's because those particular things that they're eating first are creating the enzymes in their, in their stomach that they need to break down the more complex things that they're going to eat afterwards. And they take their time. They put one thing in their mouth first. Everyone eats it. Then they put the second thing in their mouth. Everyone eats it. And then the third thing. So they're not like, Throwing a hamburger with bread and lettuce, tomatoes, and meat in their mouth, fries, in their mouth, <laughs> fries on the side. And then your body yeah. is having a hard time trying to figure out which, what to digest first, which is also causing you to age faster, mm -hmm. by the way, and inflammation and all this stuff. And so it's like I've been learning all these things about eating while I'm traveling and how people eat. And why is it? Why are these people so thin? And why are these people not even thin, but just healthier? Why? You know, healthy, yeah. Well, one thing is, I, I don't want to say sin. I said, exactly. why are they not as obese? Because because now we, I mean, all the body body positivity. And I tell people the most positive thing you can exactly. do is to have a healthy body. So we have to be honest about health and health outcomes yep. and quality of life. 
I don't want to have somebody taking insulin or, or being having amputation. No, exactly. There's no quality of life in that. So positivity is what is the best thing I can do to have exactly. positive health outcomes look at thinness and for my body. Because some of them <laughs> girls who are super thin are anorexic. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I was at a party in Beverly Hills uh, this week, and then I looked at the legs, and I looked at them, and I looked at them again. I said, your legs are the size of my arms. No. There's nothing healthy about no. that. You are depriving yourself with so many nutrients to be an adult with legs the size of another, another yeah. adult's arms. Um, so that's not healthy and either. So it's all about <laughs> being healthy. And so I, I just learned a lot from, um, from them. And there are things that they do that makes them unhealthy as well, like a very a, a too high carb of a of a simple carb specifically of a diet, you know. Um, mm-hmm. That white bread exactly. people love white you know, bread, I, don't like, they? I learned like basmati rice, for example, does not raise it gradually raises the blood sugar in your body versus regular mm-hmm. other sort of rice, and so it's healthier to eat. So that's all I eat is basmati rice, you know. Yeah, and if you're into yep. uh, to travel again. You will be exposed to other types yep. of carbs that you can eat. Oh, couscous. I just saw, you know, quinoa. I mean, you know, just yeah, quinoa. Couscous. I'm like, there's so many other things that you can you can utilize as a starch as well. Um, I grew up where we ate what we call eating provisions. So you know, it doesn't always have to be a baked potato. I can over here and eat taro and and and, and bread fruit and other things that could be my side. It's my provisions my, <laughs> that made, we call them. Made, but it's a more complex starch. Sweet potatoes. Yesterday for my mom, she goes, "I don't like plantain." I was like, "Can you just try?" It? I don't. I said, "Just try it." I mean, that it sounds so. Well, who don't I like plantain? I'm like, I'm holding my like chest. Memory of it was not good. And so I made it, and I said, just try it. She ate it. She was like, ooh, those are good. I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's a, that's, a, that's a brown people staple. I'm like, you can't oh, be yeah. brown and not like plantains. Okay, it's supposed yeah. to be genetically. I don't care if you're Filipino or uh, Ghanaian or African. This American, like, it should be in you. <laughs> like, I know it's a staple for us in the Caribbean. I'm like, ooh, a plantain. I even make, you know, in, in Puerto Rico, there's a type of... um dish where it's actually used plantains in the way that people build lasagna oh. noodles yeah and you use that and it's a little so it gives you like a little sweet and spite and savory so I make that as well I'm like plantains go a long way when you talk about pastones, uh, uh just you know fried like look I can eat it you can give me a whole bowl of plantain I eat it like yeah, a meal I'm like, I don't, at the it's bad when I get off this, this <laughs> with you I'm gonna go make me some more because it's so good it is bad, but again, I'm loving that you have traveled and are bringing the world to your mother. What you bring it to her in a, yeah. in a form of cuisine. You open her up to your travels by sharing with her the cuisines that you've come across and the different it, flavors for true. her to try. It's very true. So my last question is: with the uh, with coronavirus being a big topic right now, um, how do you travel during times of an epidemic or something like this? Because this is not the first time. At this situation, it is. Know, we had SARS, we had NIHA, uh, HIA, yeah. Point, mm-hmm. know, so, like, when there's an epidemic, what do you do? You ground yourself, or do you still travel, or war, even? Like, I traveled to Israel during a time where they were having a lot of, um, a lot of missiles flying back and forth, and I was completely unaware it was going on. I was in the middle of it and didn't know it was happening around me. So, you know, 
I've had a similar experience. I even traveled during the height of the Unabomber and I had to travel the day he made his strike and my mother was just waiting for me to touch to my next yeah. spot to tell her I reached. So I would always say, and then it's interesting because tomorrow for my staff, um, being that um, my background again, public health practitioner, that I have to create our new standards and policies because we do work with a very marginalized population and the risk of infection is real for us. Um, LA County has a number of cases now. So I will always say that you have to travel during his heightened events and epidemics, being cautious, not to, to fall into hysteria, being but being cautious, and that means that you may not want to travel to the hot spots that have the most, you know, high numbers of, of known cases. Why would you do that? There's a, a person I know that her sister is traveling to a hot spot, and she's like, "Well, I pay for my cruise." Girl, get a credit. Do something different. Right now is not the time to go there. It's not being his, you know, with the hysterics. Yeah. It's just being cautious and wise. You're saying that I realize there's a pattern and because of that pattern at this time, I'm not going to expose myself yeah. if I don't have to. And let me also say as someone who has been very big on hygiene, again, the germaphobe me, I'm like, why are you guys only right, now washing your damn hands? <laughs> you know, I was on a plane I, I, just two weeks ago in Fiji. The man came out of the bathroom and the airplane barefoot. I have exactly. travel slippers, you guys. I, I've always had, I took off my shoes and I put on these little flip-flops that I carry in a sealed big uh, Ziploc bag. So when I get on my flight, I can take off my shoes or whatever I have because sometimes you're traveling in yeah. different weather, right? If I'm leaving Alaska, which I was that time, and it's negative 24 Fahrenheit, I had on these big old boots that went, you know, they're insulated and all that, but I don't want that for my entire flight. Yeah. I got to take these off. So I go and grab my, my shoes out the Ziploc and put on my flip-flops so I can walk up and down the aisle, so I can walk to the bathroom. You should never be barefoot on anybody's plane or anywhere okay. outside your okay. home, truth be told. If you're not on the sandy beach, put your shoes on. So I'm like basic. I'm thinking part of what you need to do while traveling during this coronavirus is going back to hygiene 101, public health 101. And that means... Utilizing the things you were taught, wash your hands. If you open a door and you and you know, I do this when I enter my building at work. I sometimes use it, I grab it with a napkin or through my jacket. Or if I go upstairs to my office, I have hand sanitizer or I might stop at the bathroom first. Because you just open your doors that's being opened by everybody. You don't know exactly. what they were doing with their hands. But I see people come in and open the door, then go straight to their desk and take out their, their breakfast. They didn't, they didn't wash yeah. your hands in that step. So now you need to be high alert that you should be washing your hands often. You exactly. should have been doing that anyway. You, you know, <laughs> things like that. You should really be decreasing touching your face, which you should have been doing that anyway. I always tell people, like, when I watch them reapply their makeup, I'm like, did you wash your hands? Use a sanitizer? They're like, what do you mean? Well, you should wash your hands before you touch your face. Think about it. You're rubbing things across your lips, going to go by your mucous membranes in your mouth. You have they're touching your eyes. You have your eyes are another entry point. You should wash your hands before you apply your makeup anytime, mm -hmm. any place, regardless if there's a break at our epidemic. So it's just yeah. hygiene 101. And coronavirus, the way it's spreading, because people forgot I have not yep. learned proper hygiene. Yep. I agree. I'm like, I tell people, and again, my, 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 when I get Pangea Cheek up and running, I'm going to be sharing these tips about, I'm like, do you guys sanitize your spot when you sit down on a bus, exactly. train, or airplane? People look at me like I'm crazy, and others start, you know, they feel self-conscious and like, can I have some? Because I set up shop. I get there with my um, hand sanitizer wipes. I wipe the screen because you don't know what that person was doing when they were um, toggling between the screen. They could have been all the way up their noses. You don't know what was going on. So their fingers were on that screen, exactly. and here you go touching it. I, I wiped yep. on the armrest. The seat beside behind me, you don't know what was going on with their hair or what, what you know. Campbell. I sanitize everything when I sit down 
on a bus or train yeah. or anywhere. Sanitize. And you don't know. I, I so it's just being it's just being cautious. People be getting on the planes and coughing, and I was like, I was oh like, yeah. Not? And then I just watch some mm. some stuff. It's just. I, being the paper observer, I'm just like people have some hey, really hey, bad hey. hygiene. No, um, and re- recognize it means that I'm extra yeah. cautious about it. Um, even down to the handshaking and when I'm not Girl, doing I- the handshake or whatever <laughs> it may be, you know. <laughs> yep, I'm like I bow, I hit you the the bump, and and to me, almost a quick hug is safer than a handshake, right? Because I could just touch your clothes real quick and let go. So sometimes being a hugger is safer. I can, I can just swipe my head around your head. I don't get to yeah. be in your mouth. And then I don't got to touch your hands. It's quicker. It's easier. So, I mean, yeah, definitely use caution in this era of the coronavirus. I'm monitoring it myself because I do have an upcoming trip to Finland. And I'm like, I'm going to Finland, y'all. Um, meaning I'm still going in May. Um, it's not a hot spot, luckily, and everything of that sort. It's a direct flight, which yeah. is even great. By getting on that plane, you better believe I'm going to do my standard operating procedure, which is disinfecting. And I will have my N95 mask because just because to get through to my boarding gate, I still have to go and pass through other people who are coming from other places in the world who probably were coming from hotspots. So I'm going to have gloves on when I go through security. I'm going to have my N95 mask because I, yeah, I may not be flying to a hotspot, but we're mingling at the security check. Yep, Exactly. Okay, yeah. Uh, so uh, to add on to that, so um, what do you say? And this is what I mean when I, wh- by the way, guys, when I'm talking about not overly identifying with my gender or race or ethnicity or nationality, I'm not saying that those those issues in the world don't exist. I am saying that I I choose to engage with the world from the place of being Tanisha and not being Tanisha, the black woman from America, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so one of the questions I have for you, uh, the last, this, and this is, I promise, the absolute last question, uh, is, <laughs> for example, you know how you live in countries, and but this country over here is our enemy, right? So one of the things that I, I hope to do in the next year and a half is travel to Iran. It's one of, I've always wanted to go to Iran because I'm a big history buff like you, especially ancient history. We need to go together. It's, it's high on my and, list. You know, because I'm going to be doing a lot of video, uh, videography and video filming and journalism um, when I'm traveling be- and making like little small films and movies because I love like the neorealism, um, Italian neorealism, which is like the film noir. That's what we get film noir in, in America. And so I plan on yeah. introducing that on my YouTube channel. And one of the things I want to do is go to Iran. Now, as far as America is concerned, Iran is an enemy. I don't have time for that. I especially and I my rule of thumb is if they tell me I shouldn't go there, that's the place that I want to go. Because I know I'm going something different. So I how do you approach things like that? Um for me, there's no place in this world or no people or groups of people in this world yep. who are my enemies. Um that's especially I mean, look how I'm treated as a brown black woman in the United States. You guys cannot tell me who's my enemy when you treat me like the enemy. Okay? So I don't leave from your directive. We'll never leave from the U.S. directive. Um, I just travel in the U.S. passport. That is all it is. But there's no group of people in the world who are my enemy. Um, I deal with people on an individual level and even people, I'm like, no, no, I can never write off any group 
in the world as that and not be willing to travel anywhere because we're at war with them. You're at war with them. I'm not. I don't even support these wars. I'm mad that my tax dollars are going to them. So that's never me, for me. I always tell people I I deal with energies. Whatever some whatever energy mm-hmm. you give to me, I return. So if I go in a place and people are treating me with love and open hands and are welcoming and respect, that's what they're getting back from me. And that has been my experience traveling. I have not have yet to have experience traveling where I dealt with someone treating me a certain way because I was a woman or because I was black. So until that happens, I have no enemies. That's how I feel. And I I don't believe in having enemies. No one, no one is my enemy. No one. I like, no group, no person, no gender. I am, I am open to everyone. Especially when you're talking about a group of people. So you're just, no, you cannot dismiss a whole country because somebody else, which is usually based on propaganda and war and profit to tell me that I'm going to look at another group of human beings and consider them my enemy. And I, and that is not even just war and profit. That goes for people who, who hold so tightly to religious beliefs and other things. No, no, no one, because of whatever you've been taught by any institution, whether it's a government institution or religious or social institution should dictate to you and tell you that someone else is your enemy because of X, Y, and Z. You it's like, Really stepping into being a full-grown human being with compassion is realizing that exactly. that can't be true. Just because they be- have a belief different from mine doesn't mean that they're my enemy. Just because they look differently from me doesn't mean that they're my enemy. Just because they have a cultural practice that I don't utilize doesn't mean that they're my enemy. It just that means that we're human beings and we mm-hmm. have differences. And we're going to have that. We've been migrating across this planet for some yeah. centuries now millennials right so we're gonna have our differences and that is what i love about us it's why i stayed and stuck around in college an extra semester so i can finish up a minor in mm-hmm. cultural anthropology i love studying exactly. people and culture exactly. and respecting it i yeah that's that's my attitude as well like i people um especially black americans in general now this is changing a lot but this what but i grew up in the 80s and the 90s where their their idea of africa was this was not for best. Yeah, it's primitive place. place. And yeah, I'm like, and the Caribbean too, because I got told I lived in a shack and I hung out with monkeys, and I was coming I was from like, black really? people. Like in I America, don't have time for that because my thing is, if I, if especially in America specifically, you're telling me, oh, Africa's poor, everyone's starving, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, and yet every time I look up, I'm seeing some fair-skinned person. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm like, if it was so poor and bad, why are they there? I see some fair-skinned person all over the place. You're lying to me. And so I, and I studied, of course, I did, I did my master's in journal, um, mass communications and media, and I had to learn about propaganda. I wrote a full-on 20-page paper on propaganda. And so it really changed mm. the way, one, that I look at the news. Because my mom be freaking out every time I travel someone. I was actually supposed to go teach English in China. And I decided at the beginning of the year, uh, like literally the first of the year on New Year's, that I was going to turn the offer down that I had received. And not even 10 days later, the coronavirus popped up. I, I dodged the bullet. You sure did. Because I left China um, 10 days before their first case was recorded internationally. Yeah, I was know. in Beijing. See? So, <laughs> and bless, I have, I have not even, you know, I'm lucky. I no symptoms, no problems, no exactly. nothing. But again, I always use my standard operation procedure of being cautious with exactly. hygiene. And so, and so I dodged <laughs> bullet. The other time that happened to me, um, I was in London 
And the day the day I flew out, I landed, I was in America. I landed like a couple of hours before and was asleep. And my mom called me and she was like, turn on the news. And I was like, what's going on? That's when they had the bombing in London. Remember they, they had that bombing in the, the, the train oh, and on yes. the bus. And I had literally had just left there like eight hours before. And the train station that the bomb happened was the train station that I was going through to get to the hospital that I was staying in. So, you know, I also Mm -hmm. say, too, when you're traveling to follow your gut, because you may not understand why all of a sudden you've changed your mind about doing something. And I really believe that our spirit leads us and protects us in a lot of ways if we listen to it. You know, there was no reason for me to turn down China. It just didn't feel right. And I just turned it down. I decided to turn it down. I had a good deal. I was going to have my own two bedroom apartment. It was going to be a good deal, you know. And I turned it down. And I, I mean, I took it and then I, I wrote them and said, hey, I'm not going to be able to accept this deal. And I didn't know why I decided to do that. That's a great lesson. And so following your gut and as I say, recognizing the energies as it's feel positive and ultimately keeping in mind with this notion of travel as medicine is that if it doesn't feel like a positive experience, if it doesn't feel right, then it's no longer something that's medicine. The medicine is supposed yeah. to make you feel better. So the minute you come across something that feels negative in your travels or in something you're considering, whether it's to move abroad or take on something, if anything negative creeps up in your mind and some neg- energy feels, falls over you, then it's no longer mm-hmm. your medicine. Realize that you can say no. Yeah, and that's what you did. You said, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. And that's and, fine. And here, I would even say, look at traveling as not just medicine, but healing. Because sometimes medicine is suppressed. Hmm. Medicine should be healing, right. but you know, they've changed that. Because when they start making medicines only pills, they change that because yeah, food is medicine. You know, it should be healing, you know, and so I always travel for that purpose. And I'm so glad that we had we got to have this conversation. This is gonna be a two and a half hour long podcast, by the way. But I don't even <laughs> care because I just feel like those who are listening to us need to hear what's being said. And so I will get your information about Pangea's Peak if you have it up or at least any email that you have into the box. Sure. I would love yeah. for people to connect if they have ideas, if they want to learn more. Um, it's coming. It's coming this year, you guys. We're going to have the full platform up and um, look forward to working with you in the endeavors we talked about and um, curating those retreats with you and helping you out there. And I'm in the LA, in Southern California area. I'm also going to be curating stuff for people who live in Southern California. Again, teaching them that you don't have to travel abroad. If you're in Southern California, we're going to have some things for you. Okay, so, well, yeah. the other thing, too, is when we taking a trip together, because, you know, we missed out on Thailand because I had to come back home. Look, you got me thinking about Iran, so well, that we can go down. Year. I'm talking about this year. You want to <laughs> go to Vancouver? I got to go sightseeing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can probably sneak away because I, I love Vancouver. <laughs> I love Vancouver and all of British Columbia. Oh, uh, yeah, so, yep. So, yeah. So let's talk about that, you guys. We're going to probably be vlogging for Vancouver. <laughs> this is going to be so much fun. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. Okay. All right, Reese. You know, since the hang up, I'm going to call you right back anyway because I got to ask you. <laughs> I love it. This was great. I love sharing these experiences with people and encouraging people to travel and letting them know that yeah. this is for us. We don't have to be white. We don't have to be rich. We don't have to be any of those things. And we always 
I, I'm always a believer in if I got a seat at the table, I got to make yeah. room for the next person. So again, ethical travel, create sustainable communities for others so they can also have that social mobility to and to move around the country, countries yeah. like we do. It shouldn't just be like, oh, I bought something from the market girl. Get that market girl in a, in a position where she can also have a travel yeah, experience. Exactly. I agree with that. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much, Sharice, for this conversation. And guys, thank you for listening to this AHA Experience podcast on travel as medicine. I will leave Sharice's uh, contact information down in the description box um, so that you can uh, contact her if you want to know more or maybe you have her on your podcast. And, um, and that's 